Welcome back to the Bomb Reefers to podcast. You are listening to part 3 of episode 25 where we revisit and rank No Time to Die. After being chased into the forest, Bond runs into Logan Ash again and takes his chance for revenge. Join us as we take a look and eventually add No Time to Die to our rankings. So Bond has driven them into the trees and everything changes quite a lot. We go from like a big exciting car chase to it's very quiet and they've kind of entered this forest but it's a very thick forest. It's these massive trees, it's quite dark and it's also extremely foggy. There's just this thick layer of fog over everything and we see that there are some like bikes nearby but yeah it's still quite quiet so Bond stops the car and he gets his gun and gives it to Swan. So they get out of the jeep, and now Swan has the, the gun to defend herself. So we get some shots of Bond and Swan walking through this, like, foliage. It's like these sort of bushes. It's it's not really a rainforest because it's in Norway, but it's very dense, like, plant life. And it's also very high, so they are somewhat hidden. And Bond is carrying Matil at this point as well. And they see a little, like, hut or, like, a abandoned building. Seem to, seems like it's been there for a while, like this stone little building. So uh, Swan stops for a little bit after seeing that. And in the background, you can hear the bikes. So you're hearing this, like, roar of motorbikes all around them. So Bond gets into the hut or goes to the hut, I think. And then a bike stops and, like, the bike guy goes to shoot them. So at this point, Bond is still hiding Matil, but then the guy on the bike gets shot, and we see that it was Swan that did it, and for good measure, Swan shoots him a couple more times on the ground. Um, so they go into the hut, and Bond says, you stay here, and I'm I'm going to go. Uh, if anyone comes through the door, shoot them, unless it's me. Ha ha ha. Always time for a little joke. Um, but Bond kisses Swan, because at this point, they're like a couple... It's something that you it's quite easy to forget, but the whole point of a lot of this stuff is that they are coming back together, but it's like not it is a big deal, but it's not really a big deal. But I when I always when I saw them kiss, I was like, Oh yeah, they're actually now back together again, giving it another go, one more round, but Yeah. Yeah. It was it was inevitable, I suppose, but it is done very it's just that scene where he's talking to her and that's pretty much them back together now, yeah. Yeah, they were kind of setting that up, but it's not very long-lived, so it's fine. Uh, so yeah, so he leaves, and Bond grabs a radio and starts, like, running through the trees. And as he's running, he fires his gun in the air. He's, like, trying to make a lot of commotion, a lot of noise. And we then see Bond, like, has a big old assault rifle, and he loads, like, a grenade launcher in the bottom of it. And a jeep goes past, and he just shoots it with the grenade launcher and blows it up. It like flips in the air, so that's destroyed. And it's not fully destroyed, though. It's more just kind of flipped. So, yeah, Bond goes round to the front and shoots the people inside very casually. And he can hear someone on the radio still. So Bond grabs like a metal wire from one of the front of the jeeps. I'm not too sure what you would call that, but it's like a wire and a hook. And he starts running around with the hook and he kind of runs it around all these different trees. And after he like hooks it all up on the trees, he then sees a bike go past. So it's just like, hey, and the bike then drives to War Bond and he just gets knocked off the wire and then Bond shoots him. So 
We then see another Jeep show up and it stops and it's Logan. And he's got a big old smile on his face, as always, and he leans out and just starts, like, shooting at Bond. But Bond just barely even reacts to this. He just, like, slowly walks off. So they in the Jeep, uh, yeah, Logan in the Jeep just, like, charge at him. So Bond, like, it's a it's a pretty interesting shot, actually, because it kind of stays with the Jeep. It's, like, almost from, like, Bond's perspective as the Jeep goes past, where they charge at him, but Bond slightly jogs past a log that's on the ground, and that causes the car to, like, flip past Bond. And you see him, like, shooting it as it goes past. And we see it's, like, been flipped on this slight hill, and Bond sees Logan crawling out of the Jeep. And Bond's run out of bullets, so he can't just shoot him. But we hear, like, this creaking sound. And we see that after Logan has crawled out, there's, like, a tree that's blocking the Jeep. And he's kind of ended up in a position where the Jeep is about to crush him. And uh, Logan sees Bond and smiles at him. And he's like, nice moves, Bond. And he says, you're not going to be able to stop him. And he's like, why don't you help me out, brother? And Bond responds by saying, I had a brother. His name was Felix Leiter, and then Bond just, like, kicks the jeep, which causes the tree to break, and he walks away, and as he walks away, we hear the screams of Logan, and the Logan, like, crushes him. Uh, So, I have to say, like, just to begin with, like, I was talking before about, like, was this scene even needed? Did we even need this chase in Norway? And it's, like, my favourite scene in the whole film. (laughs) Really? I love this scene. I love wow. the visuals of it. I love the dense fog. I like the darkness inside here. I love Bond getting stuff done. I like the tension that comes with all this. I like Logan. I like Logan shooting up. There's just like, it's kind of what we had in the beginning, at the very, very beginning of the film, where this film clearly has like a greater sense of tension. And it's something that gets really built in here. It gives me true detective vibes to a certain extent, to be honest. Um, like, like clearly this person and True Detective can bring out that tension and we just get that here and I just love the atmosphere. I love the way it plays out. I love all these like extra camera shots and the way the action is filmed. Just having that Jeep flip past Bond and just keeping the camera with it. There's just so many cool little moments and just the audio design as well. Having the, like having them in this fog, in this foliage and hearing these bikes like, yeah almost like hyenas or something it's just so good i just i just really uh you know not even getting onto the logan stuff yet but i just really loved this scene i think it is my favorite okay <laughs> that's interesting i was gonna say out of all the action scenes this is probably my least favorite one actually. oh no um and not to say it's bad by any means i just think the other ones are really quite strong and so this one just kind of falls behind uh, but no, all the, all the things you're saying does totally make sense as to why it's good. It does definitely have a uh, a good atmosphere to it, and it is memorable. I think it's just for me, it's at that point in the film where you kind of know you are reaching the end, and it's that kind of awkward spot where, as you said before, you're kind of expecting them to go straight to the the end location, that island, but they've just got to take care of a few loose ends still. And I, yeah, I think really the main thing that saves it is the Logan, the Logan crushing for me because <laughs> you know me you know where i placed for your eyes only very high up and it is very much that vibe of good old rog kicking off the car uh, <laughs> off the cliff and that, good old like, rog good old rog so for, for that it won a lot of brownie points 
<laughs> so it won brownie points because you could be like, oh, for your eyes only. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, I can definitely see that. But yeah, I think a lot of it is. I think this one makes a little bit more sense. Uh, that line of when Bond's like, I had a brother every time or both times I watched this film, I'm like, surely he's not going to talk about Blofeld. Like that's, <laughs> that seems a little strange to me. Uh, but no, I think, I don't know if you're supposed to think that, but that's what I always think. But yeah, the reveal of he's talking about Felix, which I think there is supposed to be some parallels to how Bond views Felix as a brother, even though he kind of had a brother, but his brother ended up like being Blofeld. So I think that's like really nice. It's a very small thing at the end of the day. And again, it's something that's not particularly original, like finding family outside of your family when you had no real family, that sort of thing. But yeah, really nice. It makes the Felix stuff feel a little bit like tying that back is great. I love the the revenge, the bluntness of all this and how just to the point Bond is here. And this is what I kind of said before about how, you know, Spectre got it wrong with him being as like a super agent. Like he does some really cool things at this one, but it still feels like, you know, he's still lost in this fog. He just gets out of it in a very cool and collected way, but he's still on the back foot. And seeing him take care of that is great. And then just getting this really nice payoff of kicking a Jeep onto Logan while he's like all smiley and stuff. It's, uh, you know, I think Logan got the exact right amount of screen time that he needed with this, which is not very much, but enough (laughs) to like tick, like for me to enjoy the character. It's like any less and I'd be like, well, what was the point in that? But any more, I would be like, I don't care enough about Logan to see this, but just that one scene with Felix and Bond when they're in the club and he's kind of funny. And then that one when he's just like the classic betrayal. But again, he's like disappears straight away. And then this one where you get a very nice like death scene. Like it's kind of the perfect amount of screen time for this character. Yeah. it. To be honest, for me, Logan is really just there to make the Felix bit work. <laughs> like, like that, it's a nice arc of as you say, seeing him, the betrayal, and then the revenge for Felix, it caps that off nicely. Uh, because, yeah, you're right, you really don't see him that much. And apart from his crazy eyes and, like, uh, Book of Mormon-esque stuff that Bond was talking about earlier, there's not really much else to him. So, but that's fine, because he does what he needs to do. Yes, and I can appreciate that. Yeah, I ended up liking him quite a bit, oddly. And I just love this whole section. I think it's so good. Um, So we cut back to Swan, who's still hiding, and she's, like, shooting someone. And, yeah, she's, like, killing people and defending herself. But Safin appears at the door, and she's just run out of bullets, rats. Um, So we see Bond running through the forest, sprinting through, and he gets to the building, this run-out building, and looks inside, and no one's there. Although you don't actually see that. It's quite interesting. They actually show it from the front, but they never cut to Bond looking inside. You just kind of piece it together, and Bond, you can tell that Bond can't see them. So he keeps running, and you can hear a helicopter, and he runs into the open field outside of the trees and sees a helicopter flying away. So... Bond just starts walking down the side of the road. <laughs> just <laughs> got to keep on keeping on. So he just starts walking down the road. We cut to him. Yeah, just like walking down and a car approaches from behind and stops. And it's Nobi. And she's all like, need a ride? And Bond's just like, where have you been? Which is also a very good question. Very, very good point. Where the hell has she been? Yeah, she was like meant to be right behind and tracking them. And then suddenly just wasn't there for this whole sequence. <laughs> it's like... 
like i don't mind it i didn't really want nobi in this sequence because the strength of it is the tension and them being alone and isolated and bond doing some cool stuff but it's still like come on nobi meant to be 007 for goodness sake mm. uh, so we cut to them driving so bond in the front and she's all like ash and bond's like dead uh, but they took dr swan and their daughter and nobody's like i didn't know she had a daughter but bond kind of ignores that and is like did m get my plane or q get my plane did somebody get my plane and nobody's where's like, my plane where's my plane for goodness sake uh, but nobody says our plane and i'm coming with you of which bond responds by saying thank you 007 so after that we see them drive onto a runway uh, up to the plane, the big plane that Bond asked for, and it is indeed a big plane. It's a big C-17 plane, humongous, with a big ramp and everything at the back, and they drive up and get out, and uh, Bond walks on, on board, and there's Q, and he says hello to Q, uh, which again brings up the thing about Q being scared of flying. I guess he's over it now. Yeah, it's he fine. must have just got over <laughs> it, yeah. I guess it's been like 10 years or whatever, so all right, that's fine. Good for him, good yeah. for him. So yeah, they uh, they get on board and like inside is is where Q's set up. So there's lots of gadgets and screens and it's almost like a portable Q bunker at the back of this plane. Um, and they're there, Bond and 007, to get a briefing from M at first. Uh, M's on a, a video call with them and he's there outlining uh, what their mission entails, what the, the two have got to do uh, on this island. And he kind of spells out quite nicely, three parts, one, confirm the presence of Heracles on there. Two, kill Safin and Obrachev. Boom. And three, <laughs> yay! <laughs> <laughs> and then three, rescue uh, Madeline and her daughter. Uh, so yeah, nice and clearly laid out. Thanks, Em. Uh, and after they hear that, uh, 007 Nomi chimes in and, and asks M if Bond could be redesignated as 007. And Bond sort of looks around to her when she says that, and, and M, M agrees, and she says, just a number. So Bond is now back being 007, as we know it. I did wonder what that made her for the rest of this mission, because I didn't actually say. I don't I know, but I, they never said what Bond's double O designation was during this time True. either, so I guess they don't really need a number necessarily. Yeah, just double O for now. <laughs> yeah. So with that, uh, they they go to Q. Q's there to give a little bit of a uh, you know gadget briefing, and he gives Bond a watch. As always, got to give Bond a watch. This one is a watch with a an EMP in it. So typical stuff. Uh, any short distance, any like network will explode or whatever or cut out. That sort of deal. And Bond asks, "How strong is it?" And and Q says, "Fairly strong." Is fairly strong. <laughs> it's untested, apparently. He then introduces Q. Then introduces Qdar, which is just radar, but Q invented it, so it's Qdar. Oh, Qdar, right? Qdar, so that will map the the island as they go through it and uh, kind of show their vitals and or like show them on screen where they are. Uh, and then the last thing is the smart blood, which is for their vitals and to help them track. Uh, which we've seen before. The smart blood is back, and as he says that, he gives Bond. Uh, an injection of it and he says you know bond you don't mind a shot or two at work as he does that and uh shoots him in the neck with it and bond's like i haven't had a drink for three or four hour hours and <laughs> <laughs> it's like wow bond really is an alcoholic 
<laughs> and then he does the same to Nomi and she she reacts a bit more strongly as well. And the last thing he he shows off is, or very, very quickly, he asks Bond if he knows about how the stealthy bird, he calls it, works. And Bond says, no, no idea. And Nomi says, gravity. And as she says that, it pans down. And you have a very, very quick glimpse of this sort of black glider-looking plane in the foreground. But yeah, that's our little cue set up for all the stuff they're going to use. It's it's fairly quick, but you know, it's nice that we're getting some gadgets in here at least. Well, they don't normally do it like this. You know, like I feel like a lot of Bond films, he he doesn't normally get this level of support. Like mm. you get the stuff at the beginning, but he's kind of gone off by his own. And if he does get any support, it's not by MI6. It's be like the Japanese people, the ninjas in You Only Live Twice or the Americans or something, you know, like in uh, Goldfinger. Like I feel like by this point, he's kind of supposed to be completely disconnected. So... I kind of like this idea of, no, let's keep them involved. Let's bring them in. And it's a hell of a lot better than how they did Inspector, which was, let's keep them involved by M wrestling Andrew Scott in the skyscraper. So, <laughs> so it's like they clearly want these characters to still be involved. So I think this is like a much smarter way of doing it. Have another little briefing scene. Have Q be that person on the plane and giving the gadgets. It's like, this is kind of what I want to see. Not them getting actively, like being active, but not actually being in the field. This works way better for that. Yeah. yeah, and and also, as we'll come to see, Q, Q is also kind of stays along for the thing as well over radio, so it's like, it's actually still in the mix a little bit, not physically there, but I like that. It is it is Bond, yeah, having MI6 back for once rather than working Rogue or whatever. He, is, he has the tech and the support from them to do this sort of stuff, which is something you rarely see with, with Craig especially, so... Yeah, and it's like these characters, if you cut them out, that would feel very strange. Like you you have to have M and Q involved and probably Money Pennies in there as well. So yeah. I think this was a smart way of doing it. Like if they disappeared for the last hour of the film with the way they've been characterized and linked to Bond, that would also feel off. So this was a, a nice way of doing all of this. Yeah. After that, we cut to Safin. Uh, Safin is walking, uh, presumably at this point, but he's on the island and he's walking through this kind of uh, concrete tunnel looking place. It's very busy. There's all these workers in the background. Uh, Madeline and Matilda there. I think Eyeball Guy is probably there as well. And yeah, there's all these people working around them as they're walking through this this tunnel. Very big tunnel. And it's actually quite funny because I didn't catch this. I, I, I had to rewind it and, and go look. But what the what some of the workers are doing is they're putting up like artwork on the yeah. wall. <laughs> you know, he's making it, he's just got this island back, we learned from Blofeld. So it's making it, he's doing it up, you know. He's making a house a home. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to, you know, the, your villain lair has to feel comfortable, right? So, uh, yeah, they go through to a, a room where Obrachev is there and <laughs> there's nice. uh, some people next to him. And yeah, Obrachev's like, oh, welcome back. Uh, welcome back to you and your family, he says, looking at uh, Matilda and, and Madeline. Uh, and Safin asks how he's progressing. Uh, have you done what I requested? And Obrachev hands over this small red glass vial on a bit of chain over to uh, Safin and says, yes, here it is. Madeline asks, "What? what is that? And Safin replies, it's insurance. And he goes on to say, a single hair falls from your head and now 
your life is in my hands and hers, like looking at Matilde's as well. She says, like, yeah, how can you how can you threaten a, a child damaged? And she says, are you any he says, are you any less? Uh, and this is where we get quite an important line. Uh, Safin says to her, you love a killer. You bore his child despite his rejection. You'll do anything. And she says to survive, like to finish that sentence. But yeah, Safin just kind of says like the whole Bond child stuff right there, which was kind of strange to have it happen now. I guess we can talk about that a little bit later on. But yeah, I guess I'll finish the scene first. Um, so they they carry on walking uh, out into this open area, kind of uh, this big open circular area. And Safin says that this was his father's garden, the garden that we heard about before. His, his toxic treasure, he calls it. And it looks a bit like a Zen garden. It's got all these plants and bushes and things and flowers, but it's also got like raked sand and this uh, pool of water in the middle of it as well. And Safin says he wants to show Matilda around. So uh, he he takes Matilda off Madeline because Eyeball Guy's there behind with a gun. So she passes over Matilda. Um, but as she does so, she reminds her not to touch anything like they said, all in French, obviously. And yeah, Safin goes into the garden with her and starts to walk towards all the flowers and things. And, and Madeline walks alongside, like on the outer skirts of this this courtyard area. And um, yeah, he he goes and shows uh, one of his favourites, one of his favourite plants, and he, he says that they're not all for hurting people. These these poisons, they can all they can do all sorts of things. He says, and as he says that, he crouches down beside one, and you see Matilda's hand go to touch it, to go touch one of the leaves or the petals on there, and and uh, Madeline at the side shouts, "No, uh, you know, don't do that." So she didn't listen for very long. <laughs> And with that, Safin says, this one makes you do as you're told, just like her mother should do. And then he just, like, he, he asks Matilda, do you like it here? And she just flat out says no. <laughs> so, <laughs> which mm. I thought, yeah, you're quite right. Like, why would she? Uh, and he says, well, you'll learn to. You'll learn to. Uh, and this scene ends with him saying, perhaps we should have some tea to to make her see the light, her being... Madeline, and as he says that, Madeline is carried away by some guards, and as she's as she's carried away, she shouts to to Matilda that you know I'll come looking for you. Uh, but yeah, that that is the poison garden there, everyone. Wasn't that great? <laughs> um. Well, yeah, I guess there's two parts to it, right? First is the poison garden. I thought I think it looks really cool. Yeah, like it is this like serene sort of place in the middle of this concrete. Well, converted World War Two base, we find out. So I like that. I think the visuals are pretty good. And I like seeing all these workers going around doing the thing, still preparing stuff. There's something very active about this base and them still preparing stuff. I think that's kind of cool. Uh, Safin holding a kid, being like, look at my flowers. <laughs> mm. I guess I didn't really hate it, but it it feels so... You know, his character is obviously meant to be quite creepy and unsettling. And it's it does just feel like cheating a little bit for him to just pick up a kid and be like, look at my flowers, to the point where you just kind of, it doesn't, it comes back around on itself and it's not creepy. It's just a bit silly. 
Uh, I kind of wish maybe the kid wasn't involved in this at all. Like, I don't mind the kid being part of this film or anything, but yeah, I don't really think this was the way to go. Like, would Silver have been more unsettling if he, like, picked up a child and was, like, carrying it around? And we like, no, put that child down. Just leave it alone. <laughs> uh, so if he was, like, more like this towards Swan, maybe that would have been more impactful and... You know, I don't mind the idea. Guy who's super into his flowers and poison and stuff. That's all pretty solid, I suppose. But yeah, the way it all comes together to have him walking around with a kid showing flowers. It's just, if it's meant to be creepy and unsettling, it kind of just isn't. Just not that interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But this is the point where I was sort of, Safin was starting to lose me a little bit. Because I kind of, I kind of get what they're trying to do, I think. I mean, if we are meant to believe that he is, uh, he has fallen in love, or I don't know what, but has an obsession over Madeline, then he's like really awkwardly trying to be this very strange father figure here, or I don't know, like trying to ingratiate himself into the family that they've got there. But it doesn't really work. Um, so I don't mind the idea of it, but I just don't think they 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 don't put it off very well, and. Yeah, I, I will agree that I I say about, oh, wasn't the garden great kind of uh, mockingly, but I actually do like how it looks too. I think the the thing about this base, we haven't seen all of it yet, but I do think this is some classic like uh, Ken Adam designed stuff going on here. Very, very big, very like lots of lots of shapes and, and uh, yeah, lots of style to it. So, yeah, I, I don't I don't mind this stuff. I just think, yeah. What they're trying to do with the characters now is starting to fall a bit flat, as you say. Yeah, I like the design as well. Not enough rocks, though. If you wanted to go full Canadians, you've got to get your rocks in there. It's too smooth. <laughs> too smooth, but uh, yeah, I do like it because it is supposed to be an old war, World War II base, and yeah, that's cool. And having this layer on top of it is is also very cool. And yeah, more Doctor No vibes, I suppose, Like especially with all the paintings and stuff. I felt like that's quite similar to what he had, uh, which could, again, tie into the Doctor No stuff a little bit more. I guess I will just say right now, like, I do think that having him be a unique character was definitely the way to go. I I would not have been into them remixing and rebooting another villain just for this. That seems very, like, yeah. a bad idea. I don't know if they were ever seriously considering that or if it was just a rumour, but yeah. Safin is definitely helped by the fact that, no, it's Safin. It's a creepy flower guy. He's his own person with his own backstory. Nothing to do with the older stuff. It it would have felt very forced and I would not have enjoyed that. Yeah, having him and Blowfold in one would be very strange. It's almost like a Batman, you know, like all yeah. the villains together sort of thing. I guess we should also mention as well, like one of the kind of, well, maybe not obvious unless unless you know a lot about Bond or have read the books, is that the whole Poison Garden thing is an element from one of the books, which they, I guess they've sort of just, you know, put in in a slightly different way about the Poison Garden, which was actually Blofeld's garden uh, in You Only Live Twice. So I guess that's kind of surprising that they then, yeah, they don't give it to Blofeld. He's gone by this point, but I wouldn't, no, I don't think that would have really worked. So it's... I vaguely remember reading it in the books because it's a little while ago now since I read it. But like it, in the books, it's like it became almost like a tourist attraction for people to commit suicide in. So I don't really think they could have done that here. <laughs> mm. uh, I'm glad they kind of made it more of a just a personal family thing. 
uh, if they're going to use that as a source material at all, uh, yeah, they they did it in a better way than straight from the books. Well, I almost appreciate this reference, not because it's necessarily how it's handled from the books. I don't really know, and I don't really know any of the other ones, but it feels very... Like, this is how they wrote the films for a good while. When they were basing them off books, they remixed this stuff and completely changed the story. Like, You Only Live Twice. This wasn't in that film, like, at all. Yeah, no. Nothing to do with it. There were certain elements, but they remixed it. So, And even, like, after they stopped basing it off of books, they would take certain elements and then put it into a new story and do it like that. And, I don't know, I guess it's been a little bit since we've had anything like that really or anything so direct so yeah again i think it's showing more respect to the franchise as a whole it's showing respect to the book by bringing in this element and also just the way they used to put together bond films they used to read the book and bring out an interesting element you know and put that in they wouldn't use everything but they would use it as part of this other bigger story so to me that's that's really cool and as you say having this be more like a ken adams sort of style design is also great it's uh yeah i I kind of i wouldn't say i'm like super excited by this base when watching it but definitely on paper i think this is a really awesome idea and a really a really good way to approach you know the the final layer uh for lack of a better term Mm. yeah although having thinking about it a bit more now they, they don't really do much with this idea of the poison garden do they no, not really. It's not uh, really. I think no. it's when when I watched this for the first time. I'm sure a lot of people would have thought this. Is, I thought it was set up to be a lot more intrinsic to the plot, but it's just a little side thing, really. Uh, but yeah. Anyway, uh, after that, after Madeline's taken away by the guards, we're back on the plane. Bond and Nomi are in the the glider, and what was it called again? I've already forgot. The stealthy bird. Stealthy bird. That was it. And uh, as they're in there, like she's in the front and Bond's in the back, and. She asks if uh, he asks if she's ever flown one before, and she says no. And after that, the the back of the planes open. They're obviously high in the sky, and they parachute out the back of the plane, um, and they start to fall. And eventually, the wings some wings open from the side of this this uh, aircraft, and they start to glide. And you see them gliding over some very pretty clouds, almost to I don't know. They're like a little bit too pretty clouds. It's like a bit CGI was a bit cranked up too high, I think, for that one. But um, they eventually descend below them and the island comes into view and uh, cues on the radio saying that you need to look out for a concrete structure to, to get into the place. And as the plane or the glider uh, dives down close to the water, its wings retract and it dives and it turns into a sub, which is pretty cool. Uh, and then they're under the water going towards this uh yeah almost like a a dock like this weird it's not really a dock but yeah this bit underground where the water is yeah they call it a sub pen so oh right that makes sense yeah that's where they eventually uh rise up to the surface and uh they get out q tells them to look out for cameras and look uh use the watch which bond does very quickly They, they reach a door and uh bond uses the um the watch to shut down well cameras and all sorts of stuff you see him use it and then it cuts to some goons in a control room and all their screens turn off and one of them looks looks around and all the lights are turning red on one of the control panels so they uh they notice something's up and and go and like go to reset it or something like that uh yeah i do just want to say just on that sequence of them dropping down 
I think that was really cool. Uh, like, I complained a little bit about the Halo jump in Tomorrow Never Dies, but I think my main problem with that is how much they hyped it up and then how it kind of didn't really meet those expectations. I kind of like the whole, well, we need to use this, so we just do it. Like, they're Bond and Nobi at this point are just getting stuff done. They're putting on sunglasses in the plane for like, <laughs> mostly probably to look cool. And it's like a nice little shot of them coming down and you get a nice aerial view of the island. It's And yeah, it's a little bit unexpected when it becomes a submarine. I don't know if that's a reference. I don't want to start that game. Or is that a <laughs> reference? Is this a reference? Probably could be, but yeah, it's like, it's very short. It's further to the point, but it kind of shows what where we're at currently with Bond and stuff where a lot of this stuff is more to the point and there's almost a, a coolness to that. And it, it somewhat ties into the more military approach that this film somewhat takes. But I think it works quite well for Bond. It's still quite over the top and exaggerated. So yeah, very small thing, but I just want to say like it sets us up well. And I think it's it's brief, but in for the right reasons. And I also like that uh, they're, they're, they're together. They're doing this last mission together. I think mm. over the course of the film, uh, Nomi, formerly 007, has been in it enough to to keep her like weaved into the plot and therefore have this final uh, mission together work really well and and sort of the the arc that she has in terms of being a bit annoying and childish at first and then coming around to bond and eventually giving him back the double o thing it's it's obviously all very it's condensed because it's in one film of course but a long film and i think they 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 do it well they kind of pace it out quite nicely and yeah just seeing bond Alongside someone here, it's, you know, we've seen it before all the time with uh, Bond and the Bond girl usually. Uh, but this one just feels good because also there, yeah, you've just had that that consistent plot work its way all the way through the film. So, yeah, uh, where was I? So, yeah, they they just um, got through. They turned off the stuff with the the watch and uh, they start to enter this this facility, this this World War Two building. And uh, Nomi puts down the Qdar which starts to map out all the uh, the paths and everything, and it shows up on, on Q's screen on the plane, and you can see them now as well. Uh, and at this point, you see that M, Tanner, and Moneypenny are in M's office. They're all watching this unfold on, on their screens there, and the agents come up on the their screen too, so they've got oversight as well. Did and- you see on Q's screen... That it actually says Qdar in the top left. Does it? <laughs> yeah, it's not It's not just the thing he said, oh, Qdar. It's like, no, it's actually called Qdar and it's right there on his screen. Well, he takes his work very seriously, as we know. So <laughs> I'm not surprised by that. Yeah, Q starts to direct them through this place and you see there's just kind of similar, like similar to what we saw with the Saffir stuff, like lots of concrete walls, uh, at one point, there's a big turbine, but a lot of this stuff is more in shadow and there's kind of more dramatic lighting as they're working their way through some of these areas. Um, eventually, they end up on uh, a balcony or some like cat, some sort of catwalk, take out a couple guards, and then the camera pans over to below where this catwalk is, and you see this this very huge long room. It's got uh, kind of a, a water bed at the base full of water and lots of tall white lights sticking out in the water and all these people in hazmat suits in the water and you know very busy walking around the place and steam rising up it's uh it's kind of more of what i was just saying like this is 
this is like classic villain base here. It's like, what what is this? It just looks weird, you know? You don't really know what's going on at this point, but it's quite visually distinct with all these bright white lights sticking out. Well, there's also a load of people in has suits in the middle, but they're like in pink. It just makes them really stand out as well. And yeah, I, I love the vibes of this room, which mm. is good because we see it a ton. <laughs> like, yeah. This giant base and we spend like so much time just in this one room, but... Yeah, I like the the vibes of this a lot. It's cool. It's concrete, but then this as well, this like liquid that's steaming with these lights. It's all yeah, all very kind of silly with the lights and well, not silly, but yeah, kind of silly, yeah, silly in yeah. the Bond sort of way. Yeah, I should have said it's not, yeah, not water. Definitely not water, but we don't know what it is yet. Some sort yeah. of liquid, as you say. But yeah, I think um, I remember like that that shot is in the is in the trailer uh, or a very similar shot of this. And I remember looking at it thinking. Oh, is that going to be the villain's lair? Oh, that's that's going to be good. And hey, it was, and it is good. So very pleased with that. Um, as they carry on, Q is trying to talk to him, but starting to cut out over the radio. And Nomi points out, you know, it's probably because of the thick walls, they're kind of getting into the thick of this place now. So they're starting to lose signal back to the plane. And they walk along the balcony a little bit. And yeah, that's where you kind of see all the steam and everything rising and the heat. And... They look across and see a very brightly lit lab. When I say brightly lit, it is like blindingly lit with these lights on the back wall shining through. And before they head to it, Bond looks up uh, above all this liquid with the, the light sticking out of it. And he spots the the doors on the ceiling and how this place was clearly some sort of missile silo during the World War II stuff. So, yeah, there's there's these big hatches at the top that are currently closed. And with that, they uh, they head on into the lab. Does that come back, the missile solo? Or is it just like, oh, that's interesting? It comes back, oh, yeah. Is that the blast doors thing? Yeah. Uh, okay, all right. I, think, I, wasn't, I, think there's I more, wasn't too sure. Yeah. yeah. All right, okay. That makes sense. But yeah, I generally just really like the way this kind of plays out. That's Yeah, it, again, it does feel like this covert military mission with Bond and Nomi. And like, that's awesome. Uh, I echo what you said. It's awesome seeing them work together, and we know in this film we can they can do these sort of scenes. So seeing Bond and Nomi, like yeah, just the way it begins, where just you see someone out in front and they just shoot them with silent ammo and they die, and then you just see them kind of come out and just the camera then goes forward and you just see this long room and you're, it's just ah, oh, it's just very well put together. Uh, Am I, really I right do in love thinking? This stuff. When they take out the guards, there does is it Bond? Like, does he do like a little signal? You know, like a proper. Oh, he that? might do. I didn't write that down. I can't say for sure. But yeah, there's oh. definitely... Because like this is something that's also quite interesting and might give me the... It explains the Call of Duty vibes for me with this is that they use like assault rifles for most of this film and Bond has one for a good while. But normally it's something a little bit more like cartoony. It's either like a pistol or it's just some sort of like random machine gun that he's found. But this time there is a little bit more of a yeah, we've got the straps and we've got this assault rifle with a sight, like a sight on it and they're like holding it upwards. Like there is a little bit more of that, which I like. I think that's really cool. But yeah, it's mm. uh, that's I think that's part of it as well. The weapons, like we've never seen Bond use an assault rifle as much as this. Oh, and I forget, yeah, I completely forgot to mention what Bond's wearing as well. I love the outfit Ooh, he's got yes. here, like the, the blue jumper, like it. And yeah, and obviously Nomi's all hooked up with like, proper compact gear and everything or like infiltration stuff he looks great i love craig's look in this final bit so good 
Yeah, like he's ready for a military mission or golf. He's he's prepared <laughs> for both. What a, as any good man should be. <laughs> yeah, and then he sees Goldfinger saying, "Ah, oh, let's have a golf off." An odd job <laughs> pointing. So like, I'm glad I dressed for this. I knew this happens too often. <laughs> and I think you can buy this jumper. It probably costs about nine hundred pounds, though. But yeah, it is out there if you really want it. Oh, I do. Now that you I probably can't pull it off as well as Craig does. Yeah, I, I thought that as well. Uh, I, I couldn't. Uh, I don't think I have quite the bulk for that sort of look. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so yeah, Bond and Novi has entered the lab. And again, very casually, Bond just kind of walks in and fires his gun in the air. So there's like a load of scientists and it causes a little bit of panic and he orders everyone into the corner and we see Orbachev is in there and he's like, oh no. Um, so he kind of goes to leave, but Nobi just kicks him down. It's like down boy. And Nobi and Bond starts like putting explosives all around the lab to blow it up. But Orbachev is all like, oh, you can't do this. This is a, a suicide mission. You'll never leave the island alive. But while he's rambling on, they see a wall just filled with the vials so like the DNA vials that we've kind of seen before is absolutely filled. So they kind of put together that that was the farm, they say. So the building that or the, the room before this, the long one with the lights and the steam, saying that was the farm and this is the factory, which I have no idea how that makes any sense. I don't know if they ever explain what they mean by a farm. I don't know if that means they're making a lot of nanobots in that place. I don't get it at all but I don't want to think about it too much. Yeah, this is exactly the same feeling. One of those cool lines, but yeah, I mean, the the vibe of like the people in the water or the liquid, I should say, that doesn't seem very nanobotty, but I guess it is. I guess no, it is. No, I don't know why you need all of that stuff to make nanobots, unless it is the thing that you mentioned before about maybe this was meant to be a virus caused by the flowers because yeah again there is a little bit of a mismatch here you've got like a world war ii bunker that has a load of flowers and stuff in it and is like a poison garden but then they're also supposed to be like mass producing nanobots <laughs> so it's like it gets a little lost so you have like the sub pen and then the poison garden and then the nanobot factory it's like what wait a minute hold on yeah. Uh, so I get. I have no idea how that connect in my head when I first saw it. I assumed this was actually the poison, but of course the poison has nothing to do with this. So it's it's weird. It's nonsense. Whatever. Don't think about it. Um, so Bond like sees a computer and he like shoves a tube into it that was like half inserted, and it shows on the screen like it's being mass produced. And, like, a simulation plays, and it's showing, like, millions of people around the globe dying. And the scientist's like, you can't stop it, we have big plans. And, uh, yeah, they say, somebody, I can't remember if it's Bond or Nobi, but I, it might be Nobi, but it's like, he's really starting to get on my nerves. Yes. Yeah, I think, and then, uh, <laughs> yes. then Joe's like, yes. I stood up in the cinema. <laughs> and, and clapped. <laughs> Woo! Um... <laughs> So Bond says, well, shut him up. So Nobi just goes up to Orichev and just hits him in the face with the butt of her gun and uh, like breaks his nose, kind of. Uh, so Bond and Nobi look out from the lab and they say, we have to destroy this whole facility. Uh, but at this point, Safin chimes in over like the intercon system saying, there's no need for violence. 
and says, Mr. Bond, you have something of mine and I have something of yours. Uh, so on the TV screens all around, it's showing like the broken mask, which is, I get why you would do that. I feel like maybe just move on at this point from that aspect, but I, yeah. I get why you would do that. Um, and he's like, why don't you come up and talk? And we'll talk about it like adults. So Bond asks uh, Chef, like, where is Safin? And he just points up. So Bond goes and says, if I don't come back, blow it all up. Well, he does swear. And we did have an F-bomb from M as well. So they're still we doing the whole swearing. They're, they're getting those in there. It's keeping it to a 12, but getting those in there. Hmm. Um, but nobody says, we don't have enough explosives to blow it all up. And Bond's like, yeah, but they don't know that. And it's like, ba ba No. <laughs> <laughs> Sadly not. So yeah, so that's the big plan. I don't have anything else to say about it. I guess it's nice to have Ormachev back, a little bit more screen time for him. That's always a plus. Um, but yeah, this is kind of like the big reveal that actually this is a global plan and they're going to kill millions. So Yeah, kind of what they assumed was going to happen, I suppose. They yeah, were right. I don't think there was much doubt about that like we already had that scene where q's telling m like this could kill millions and m's <laughs> yeah. like oh bother oh <laughs> <laughs> whoops i really messed up here <laughs> yeah he turns into wenny the poo and a uh, good old old bother um but yeah so we kind of already knew that but i guess they've had to they have to confirm it but yeah we already knew that um so we cut to a cup of tea being poured oh lovely very fancy like antique teapot and mug and we see Swan is sitting at a table where this is being poured and looks quite upset. And Eyeball Man is like watching her. And Eyeball's all like, you must drink it for your health. But Swan says, do you trust him? Do you trust Safin? He made me kill your last master. But he's just like, he wants you to drink. But Swan says, all I want is to have my daughter back. And Eyeball says, well, if you behave, you can see her. But Swan starts saying, like, do you know what this flower does? Because there's, like, a flower inside the tea. Uh, like, obviously, I, it it gets a little bit lost, this whole tea stuff, where, I don't know, I guess because it's a British film, they've got to put tea in there. I don't know. We've always had, like, Wallace and Gromit and stuff. Why not a bit of tea? Um, so, yeah, there's, like, a flower in there. And then he mentioned it before that this tea stuff falls so flat, it's so dumb. Um, yeah. But she's all like, do you know what this flower does? It's It makes you blind and just one drop in your eye and you'll never see again. And she says, like, losing one eye is a tragedy, but losing two, because Eyeball only has the one eye, uh, hence the fun name. And he grabs her and he's all like, this isn't a game. So while he's getting angry, she throws the tea in his face and runs out the room and locks him inside. So once again... We get a little bit more of Swan, as we've already demonstrated, like multiple times up to this point. She's not just going to sit there; she's going to give him the old tea in the face classic. <laughs> uh, so it's it's very in character for her to do this, and I kind of like that she is able to to get away. I, I have got a question about the scene because I agree with you in that it does fall completely flat. But you say she says, "If it goes in your eye, you'll go blind." What was it meant to do? Anything to her drinking it? Yeah, I think it's it's what Safin was saying before about drinking the flower or having the tea to make you behave. And so he was like her. threatening to give it to the kid that was going to do something, I guess. It's, I think it's supposed to like 
not drug you, but do something bad. It's not explained. He needs to yeah. say what it's going to do because Swan freaks out at the idea of like, not the tea. She's a coffee <laughs> person. Oh, I hate tea. Oh, <laughs> at least give me some biscuits. <laughs> something for dipping. Come on. <laughs> Uh, so yeah again it just falls flat they just don't explain it and it's like this poison garden stuff is like i like the look of it and stuff but yeah we're already talking about nanobots and so i don't care about this tea stuff but mm. that's kind of it for the tea stuff really um and i also assume that she was lying about that by the way uh that she only said it would make you go blind to make eyeball angry because he knew it was like a soft spot for him yeah which is why i'm assuming why she said that stuff it's not actually true mm-hmm uh, yeah, so we go back to Bond, and he reaches the stairs going upwards. There's like two guards, but he just very quickly kills him, and or kills them both. And then he he sees Safin sitting on the room, and with the with Matil, and it's a very like Japanese style room. We've seen that a little bit before with the poison garden. It gives some of that Japanese garden vibes, but this one's also very much like that, where there's like a very low table, and you have Safin like sitting cross-legged on like a pillow. Very much trying to have that in there, which actually gave me quite strong Blade Runner 2049 vibes because uh, like the lead villain of that does the same thing, just likes right. to be in like a Japanese style room. It's very similar, hmm. um, but that's a great film. So I don't mind being reminded of that. <laughs> uh, so he, is like, welcome. And Bond kind of puts down his gun, his assault rifle, and then he takes his pistol as well. Because Safin's like, yeah, get rid of the guns. But then Safin's all like, as he's putting the guns down, Safin's like, be careful, she's light as a feather. And like throws a pillow and everyone shoots it. And Bond's like, all right, all right, leave the pillow alone. And puts the gun down. Uh, Which is not a great start. It's it's so dweebish. I don't know, like it's just... That's not, it's not in, an intimidating thing to do at all. It's just like <laughs> Bond was doing it. <laughs> he was doing it. Yeah, he's doing it too quickly, I guess. I don't know. But just like the way he throws the pillow off, it's just like, that's not the way. To, <laughs> that's not the way to look intimidating, Safin. Just just let it, let it go. Right? And I don't know. I guess the implication here is that he would throw her in the air like a pillow. <laughs> And everyone just shoot her and one's like, no, no, don't do that. <laughs> don't toss Matilde. <laughs> like, uh, whatever it's called, like in, uh, was it Moonraker when they're doing the hunting expedition? It's like that. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's so silly. Like, and, and Rami's not a big man. I don't, I, if Jaws was like, I'm going to throw your kid, you'd be like, oh, bloody hell. Like, come on, look at those arms. Like he would, he would throw it far. But yeah. like a little Rami on his little floor with his legs crossed, being like, I'll throw your child. <laughs> okay, <laughs> all right. All right. Uh, so Bond does sit down and he kind of says to Matilda, like, it'll be all right, kind of looking at her a bit. And uh, yeah, Safin then starts talking. It's like, James Bond, history of violence, license to kill, vendetta with Blofeld, in love with Swan. I'm saying it with a lot more energy than he... I should probably tone that down. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Because <laughs> normally in a Bond film, or like older Bond films with the villains, he would be like, ah, James, Mr. Bond, history of violence, license to kill. But he's just like, history of violence, license to kill. Rami Malek, you managed to get Rami Malek here? <laughs> yeah, well, it's the final episode, isn't it? So. Oh. 
I didn't he, like him in Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's he's gone. You've upset him. Sorry. Oh, I'm off. Goodbye. <laughs> Sorry, what was that? I can hear you. Screw you, Joe. You suck. <laughs> Bye. Bye, Rami. Uh, <laughs> See ya. So... Uh, yeah, so he lists all those things out, and then he says, I could be speaking to my own reflection. Of which Bond responds by saying, we've made slightly different choices. And he's just like, no, we've... Or uh, Safin says, no, we've just used different methods for the same goal. Only your skills die with your body, but mine will survive after I've gone. And life is all about leaving something behind, and it doesn't have to be ugly... And then he's like, if you leave my baby alone, I'll leave yours. Of which Bond's like, I think you're right. We are the same. Uh, We both know what it feels like to have everything taken from us before we're even in the fight. And it would have been nice to have a chance, don't you think? You should always get a chance. And the thing you're building puts the whole world on a battlefield, but nobody gets a chance. Referring to the nanobots and the infection. Of which Safin responds by saying, the thing that nobody wants to admit is that most people want things to happen to them. Uh, You tell each other lies about the fight to be free and fight for free will and independence, but most people want to be told how to live and then die when we're not even looking. People want oblivion uh, and there are the few of us who are born to build it. And he says, here I am, the invisible god, sneaking under their skin. So Bond says, you know, history isn't kind to people who play god. And his Safin's response is, and you don't? We both eradicate people to make the world a better place. A better place. Uh, I just want to be a little tidier. And we get some shots of, like, Matilde and Safin, like, stroking her hair, still going for that angle, so... Safin continues by saying, I want the world to evolve, but you want it to stay the same, and let's face it, you've been made redundant. But Bond responds, and he says, no, not as long as there are people like you left in the world, and with all due respect to your tidy achievements, all you're really uh, doing is standing in a long line of angry little men. And Safin says, I'm not angry, just passionate. And he says, disable your explosives and get off my island and you can take the girl with you. But Bond asks, what about uh, Madeline? And he's like, she stays. And Bond's like, well, you know, I can't do that. So Safin says, she hopes you would because it's, it's, it's her only path. And Safin continues by saying, what mother wouldn't sacrifice herself for her own child? And Bond asks, is that what happened to yours? And we get a little bit of more staring. And he says, my mother laid at my feet while I watched her die. So Safin picks up the kid, like, I guess somewhat threateningly. I think there's some music cue here. But Bond's like, wait, wait. And he says, I'll do whatever you want. I apologize. And says, I'm so sorry. And like bows down to him. And Safin says, simple choices, Mr. Bond. Do you want to die in front of your daughter or watch your daughter die in front of you? And Bond's like, no, no, no. I'm very sorry, still bowing. Safin says, look at your father, this is power. But Bond continues to say he's truly sorry, but we see the camera with, or we sh- the camera shows Bond has a gun. So he had an extra gun, pulls it out, shoots the two guards. Now that moment, Safin like shoots through the floor. Bond tries to go after it, but it's gone and the panel closes up. So, oh, that was the big Bond and Safin scene. 
I need to a round of applause for Tom there for getting through that dialogue. I yeah. mean, you're a stronger man than I am for getting through that drivel. So I, well done. <laughs> I kind of I I don't necessarily hate it. It it does definitely feel a little bit bloated with cliches. I'm not going to stay away from that. But there are some moments I like. I think I like a lot of what Bond says. Uh, the problem is that we kind of it's mostly what Safin says and i don't know it, it's i don't really dislike the betrayal but yeah it's almost it's what i said when i was reading this it's like this dialogue should be like a scaramanga should be saying this a goldfinger should be saying this a blowfell should be saying this but when you have like creepy little rammy with his burnt face and a little kid that he just keeps touching on the head it's just like it, no th- this isn't quite these aren't the lines he should be saying it doesn't feel right uh, but I do like Bond's line of you're just standing in a long line of angry little men and I think that line's really nice, really putting him down. And yeah, again, it ties into this concept of how Bond is always needed, as w- which he says quite explicitly. Like, no, I, as long as there's people like you, I have a place, which I really like that idea. You know, we've had this idea of Bond being redundant, so they kind of reinforce this idea of actually no you know, there's always a place for Bond to stop these type of people. And I like that he calls him an angry little man. And the way he describes his history is killing angry little men. I'm like, that's really cool. Um, mm. but, green. Uh, yes, <laughs> angry little greens. Green mainly. Yeah, that's who I think of with angry little men. <laughs> yeah, like it does fit in. It's quite nice. Uh, Silver was quite tall. But anyway, like it fits in with that idea that that's the way he sees these villains. And that's how he sees his place in the world. So I like that. And there's nothing else to talk about. So there we go. (laughs) No other lines to talk about. Yeah, it didn't it didn't work for me. um, Unfortunately, I really wanted it to because this is this is it. This is the Bond villain conversation, as you say, in in previous ones or especially going further back. It's it's a very it could have been like a quite over the top thing. uh, And I don't know, I, I thought where they were going with the whole this is the base and they've they've they have been a bit silly with this film uh as well as some of the drama and things we've seen there has been a lot of silly moments i thought maybe they're gonna like maybe they're gonna pull it off and they're actually gonna have this bond versus villain and it is gonna be a bit maniacal we're gonna find out that actually safin has this whole other plan and and the like killing blofeld was just the start and i i guess he he does say that to an extent but not in a very good way it, it yeah it is just like cliche after another uh they're invisible god <laughs> just it just yeah i at this point i lost what was really uh, what why is he here at this point then like what does he want to do what what is he actually saying here especially because then we later we, we very soon hear like that there are buyers coming presumably for the the nanobot so it's like well hang on does he want money does he want world dominate like what does he want and as i said before i just think they didn't really know what to do with safin at this point now so they just sort of throw like throw at the walls and sees what see what sticks um which is a shame it's a shame so yeah that's kind of it really didn't i didn't like it very much Uh, yeah again there's a couple lines in here i like which means I, i don't really hate it but yeah, I think the big problem with this is that it does feel very unearned. Like, it's what I kind of mentioned before, how the villain got t- gets tied to Swan and her story. And this is like the first time they've had a chat. 
And it's like, well, they don't really know each other at all. Yeah. Or they haven't really been crossing paths. Like, sure, there's some connection, but Safin's kind of been doing his own thing involving Blofeld, and Bond just happened to kind of be around. Normally with these sort of scenes, it comes from the fact that you know, Bond and the villain have both been doing stuff. Again, look at Scaramanga for the example. They've both been kind of doing stuff. So by the time they sit down, they kind of do know each other and it, it feels a little bit earned. It feels good to have them talk like this or it's part of the development of the relationship between Bond and the villain. Like it's, it's a little bit more purposeful. But this one feels a little bit like, yeah, Bond's now just in a room with him. So they're going to talk philosophies. It's like, on paper, I love this stuff. You know, this is a trope I absolutely love about the Bond franchise and really helps separate it and its villains. But yeah, it's just unearned. Like, you don't get to have this scene play out this way and have it be as long as it is and this weighty dialogue because it's like, well, it's not a villain film. It just isn't. So having a version of this, sure, but they put a lot into it. And because it doesn't really connect enough to what we've seen before and you, these sort of things are normally about Bond and the villain's connection, and this is sort of somewhat meant to be like a payoff to that, to finally having them chat like this, and it's just like, no, they don't, they're just doing different things, they just happen to overlap. So, yeah, yeah just yeah. just falls flat for that reason as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so Safin has gotten away. It happens all very quick, Bond kid and the guards, and Safin like dropping down, it looked very prepared. Um, so at this point, when Bond jumps onto the panel... As he escapes, we hear Swan shouting, James. And Bond points the gun at her because doesn't know who it is, but she then's like, where is she? Uh, so we cut to Safin walking down this big tunnel in the base with some guards and uh, Mathilde still in hand. And also Ormachev is uh, hanging out there. Um, so the girls start saying, where's my doo-doo or my doo-doo? So she bites Safin's hand and he puts her down and Safin then lowers down, like gets on his knee to talk to her in the eyes, the blue, the big blue eyes. And he's like, if you don't want my protection, then off you go. So she just leaves. <laughs> and yeah, Safin just moves on and we just get another shot of the kid just running down the corridor of a World War II bunker. <laughs> yeah. Uh, why does he do that? I don't know. I, I like the idea of, like, he was purely using her as a bargaining chip for all this, and at this point it doesn't matter. But that's not what she was. he was saying before. I feel like it kind of contradicts some of the stuff he was talking about with Swan and the kid and the family and stuff. So, yeah, I, it doesn't really play out the way it kind of should. I think it somewhat makes sense, but not really. It's just... Yeah, I don't know. I can't explain it either. One thing I will say, because I haven't up to this point, and I, you know, credit where it's due, um, I'm usually not a fan of child actors, but I just want to say I think this little girl is very good for being for being in this film. Everything she's been in, I know she's she's very quiet, and that's just the nature of the character, but <laughs> but she's good. Like yeah. she looks scared when she needs to look scared. She doesn't like doesn't do anything weird. She it's it, Bravo. She's a better actor than a lot of people in the Bond films have been. So well done to her. Yeah, totally agree. Like they found this cute little girl who can act, who looks like she could be Bond's and Swan's daughter. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. Like she's got the big blue eyes and yeah, she could do it all. And yeah, that definitely massively helps. 
I don't want to say her betrayal, but like, you know, like the way the kid <laughs> is in this film does absolutely help this aspect that could have gone horribly, uh, horribly wrong. Um, but yeah. I do quite like it. But oh, do we, should we talk about the daughter stuff then? Yeah, that's all out there in the open. Yeah, yeah, go on. I'd like to hear your thoughts. So I like this idea. Um, I think it it's, it makes sense that this is where this would go. It's an extra, well, maybe it doesn't, but it, like it's an extra layer of complexity to Bond's relationship. And I think they, it plays out in a way that's very smart to make it still feel tied to like Bond and stuff where I think the point of saying you don't, you know, it's not yours is to kind of give that plausible deniability where we don't have to go through the scenes of Bond actually being like, Papa and my my daughter. Like, there's almost like this plausible deniability for him not to kind of go that route. And it kind of creates just enough disconnect where he can kind of still care, of course. You know, in the back of his head, Bond almost certainly knows that this is the case. Um, but can kind of interact in a way that yeah it doesn't feel too lovey-dovey and stuff it's it's it i think it was a really smart like storytelling device in terms of allowing bond to have these moments with his daughter but not have it be like oh it's bond and her you know the daughter like oh reuniting and doing stuff it's a so yeah it's you know you kind of avoid all of that big cliche stuff and instead just have a little bit more not nuance, but it allows to be a little bit more subtle. I I was very I didn't know what to think of this at first, and I think you, I think you're spot on with like what you're saying. Where if they had just said it when we first saw her, yeah, it it would have just given it a slightly different vibe about Bond than going on this entire mission. And I I'm fine with them doing that, like sort of saying it but not saying it because yeah, the big blue eyes. Of course, it's going to be his daughter. I just I think the thing that they could have maybe done better is when they actually do say it because I think it is like it is a moment it's like oh my god Bond has a daughter this is this is crazy like it's never before seen or done and yeah I just think that we 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 kind of get it confirmed when Safin says you know you bore his child and I think like oh it's just a little bit of a deflated moment to actually have it confirmed, you know? I'm not saying they need to have this crazy thing where, like, I don't know, the music swells and she's like, she's yours. And Bond's like, what? But <laughs> I, I just think, like, okay, they've 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 done that little that little sort of trick. Not really a trick, but, you know, they've set that up beforehand. Let's have a nice moment to then actually have it come out. And even though we, we already know. So... I like the idea. I just wish that it wasn't just Safin saying it. So, in his like quiet little voice that you know, we've mentioned about to uh, to Madeline like that. I don't know. Maybe come out a slightly different way. I don't, I think that's kind of the point. Like it's it's kind of just getting it out there to people because it's almost like introducing the audience to this concept as well, where it gives the audience a little bit of plausible deniability. But kind of like Bond, you know, in the back of your head. Like, yeah, that probably is the daughter. Otherwise, she wouldn't be in this so much and wouldn't have the big blue eyes. Like, you kind of know to yourself, and some people will say straight away, will be like, yes, definitely, and some people won't. So it's, I think it gives you the plausible deniability there, but really you know what the truth is. So just having something kind of say it and then have it get said later, you know, kind of locks it in and confirms it, but it's, it, it, it kind of doesn't need to be that moment. It's just kind of 
confirming that because that's what Bond already knows. He already knows that to be the case. He's not stupid. Like, um, so I think that the way it plays out is quite smart for the audience that you don't have to deal with this big scene and you already kind of know that's probably the case anyway. So it's just kind of like, just puts this like kind of quite brief confirmation of that and it sucks away a lot of that reveal. But to me, it's like, good. Like, I don't want that to be a big reveal. Let's just kind of put that out there and get everyone on the same page and then kind of move on. Let's not kind of distract too much. It's a interesting concept, but it gives you like, 10 15 minutes of the film to contemplate that concept and then it kind of gets reinforced and then it you know the it, the rest of the film can play out the way it plays out um and the tragedy of the character is kind of then you know it, it's reinforced because that's what this is really about um and there's the other thing that happens right at the very end of the film and that's the question that maybe we'll get to later could you have the daughter stuff without what happens at the end or could you have what just happens without at the end without the daughter stuff i don't know maybe we'll uh get there when we get there yeah that yeah that'll be an interesting question uh so yeah after madeline's runaway i think you do very briefly hear like yeah someone saying to Safin that the the first buyers are arriving to the island and right on cue you see some ships uh right on cue right on cue because yeah and then right on cue after seeing the ships bond is in the uh, sorry q is in the plane and he's looking at the screen on the plane and and seeing the uh, the ships on his on his map on the screen heading towards the island. And uh, I think M asks if there's any sign of Double O Seven because you remember they've they've lost contact at the moment because of where they are in the facility, uh, but still no sign. And then we go back to Nomi. She's still there. Remember Nomi? Mm. Um, she has still got. I've, the spelling of this guy's name has changed every time I swear in my notes. Obrachev. Uh, she's still got Obrachev from the, the lab that we saw. And uh, she she leaves. She starts to leave the lab because I think she sort of, I guess she hears some commotion or something or just realizes that she should probably make a move. And she starts to head out onto the catwalk, the one that's above the the liquid in that big room, above the farm. And she uh, she goes to shoot. She starts to get shot at by some guards below. And she shoots one of them. And you see his body fall into the liquid. And as it does so, it starts to fizz and bubble up. And yeah, you very quickly realize that that is not water. As I said earlier, that is definitely something a lot nastier than that. Because uh, yeah, whatever's going on there, not healthy. And when that person, when that guard is in there, that causes all the other hazmat workers to to flee they get out uh some sort of reaction going on and as she's been as she's been doing all that obrachev is is there she's still got hold of him and he's been he's been saying all this stuff in the background about oh you know you can't do this and oh you don't know the power of it and i could i could exterminate your race from the earth he says or something along those lines and what as he says that she looks at him and uh by this point they've reached on the catwalk right near the end of a part of it where there's there's no barrier and so she turns and, and says to him, do you know what time it is? Time to die. Oh. And she kicks him off the catwalk and he falls down into the bubbling acid stuff below. <sighs> and that's him gone, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's dead. He's dead. There was time to die. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and I'm glad they saved the, the name of the film for him as well. Oh, <laughs> beautiful stuff. 
Yeah, it's not the most eventful death, but yeah, having him kicked into a load of acid, yeah, nice, good. It, but it's almost like the film pauses to make that happen. Like, because yes, he's an important character, but there's no like story related to this. Even with Logan, there was the Felix stuff. There was that small little arc that played out. There's no arc with this guy. He just kind of yeah, it's the whole scientist being killed by his own creation. You get it, right? Um, mm. So it's like the film is like, all right, we'll just have a little bit kick here from Nobi, and he goes a little melting. All right, nice. Now we can carry on. Yeah, very so, very good. Yeah, so again, it's not really like a big payoff, but yeah, it's just nice that he, uh, you get that moment. And again, very James Bond moment. But I will say this film is not very violent or bloody. Uh, the most bloody it kind of gets is people's faces and things like that. But a lot of the shooting and stuff, it is very 12. It is very PG. Yeah, It's a lot less grim and gritty than Spectre is, I would say. Um, no one's shooting themselves or anything. When someone gets shot, there's no blood or anything or no real impact. People just kind of get shot, so... Yeah, even with this one, you don't really see it. You just see him in the pool and he gets a bit fizzy. And then that's kind of that. But yeah, not a very violent film, really. Yeah. The, but the bubbles say enough to me. I know he's melting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, after that, she um, Nomi carries on like shooting some guards and, and makes her way out. And we cut back to Bond and Madeline. Uh, since they're they're together and they're making their way through some of this uh, this place, like some of the tunnels and whatever. And uh, as they're trying to work out where Matilda might have gone, uh, they're walking past and they suddenly hear uh, like Mama in the distance, like this little child's voice and and how she's lost her doo-doo. And out she pops, out pops Matilda from a table or somewhere in the distance. And she's fine, everyone. She made her way back. Clever little girl. Uh, and... Uh, Madeline runs up to her and obviously embraces her and and Matilda says that she did what she was told she hid and they say that they love each other and Bond is a little bit further back because uh, yeah Madeline ran up to her and he's just kind of watching them them two and taking it all in I guess and yeah like really really hammering home like what what this is and what he now has uh, which is all very nice and Q is still trying to contact Bond on the plane. And as he does that, some some jets fly past. Uh, they get buzzed, they say. So uh, some MiGs, I think it is. And back in MI6, Tanner is very stressed on the phone. He's getting calls from uh, the Navy and the, the Japanese and the Russian governments asking about why uh, the British government are at that island what they're doing there and, and M is just very focused on the screens and just tells Tanner to say you know don't tell him anything yet yeah so they're getting pressure and adding a bit of uh yeah pressure to the situation with other countries getting involved with it which makes total sense um, yeah very minor thing but yeah it's, it's nice having this at the center of an international incident again very very small element but very bond-like you get that in a few of those uh, like yeah you only live twice once again um, but like tomorrow never dies as well yeah love that stuff it's very spy stuff but we have had that in the bond film it's it's nice that everything that is happening here is framed in terms of the international superpowers are keeping an eye on it like that's that's quite cool as a little bit of impact very spy good stuff mm. we go back to bond uh bond matilda and madeline and they meet up with nomi they, they find each other and Bond introduces Nomi to them, and he's like, "That's uh, Matilda and Madeline." And he kind of walks, starts to walk away, and he's like, "They're my, 
And you just sort of see him mouth family, like really confused as he says it. Like he's kind of hearing it himself. He's like, oh God, what <laughs> what is this situation? Uh, she's saying it out loud almost. So uh, yeah, at that point, they're finally able to contact Q. Uh, they're starting to hear him back again on the radio. And Bond asks if there are any uh, naval vessels in the area, any Royal Navy, because uh, they need to strike the island. Because as they've just seen, this whole place is a, a farm, a manufacturing plant for Heracles. And that's when Q starts to tell him about the ships that he has spotted coming in and that they're about 20 minutes away. So these, these, I think he like, calls them high speed ships earlier on. So they're not the Navy or anything. These are, these are like third party ships coming in and they're like now the, the next threat in the situation. M is patched through to Bond and... He just kind of confirms Bond that they're seeing what they can do uh, in terms of the Navy stuff and Bond and that get back to where they came in at that sub dock place. And there's a boat there. I don't know if that boat was already there, but there's a boat now there, like an inflatable one with a motor on it. And Bond puts Matilda on there and uh, Nomi's on there and he, he gives Madeline a, a kiss goodbye uh, and, and says that he needs to finish this for us. And with that... Nomi and uh, uh, Matilda and, and Madeline are, are all on the boat. And just before he leaves, Nomi gives Bond the, the detonator to the explosives that they planted earlier on. But yeah, it's all very... Like you could, it, it, with these sort of scenes, it's always like the lighting is always the same. It's like this nice, glowy, orangey-yellow lighting shining in, just like it was in Norway as well, as, as Bond and Madeline are saying goodbye to each other. Yeah, so very built-in foreshadowing here where... Yeah, Bond gives Matilda his jumper, saying he's going to get cold, and wraps it around. So, a little memento there. And yeah, there is a very specific shot of the boat leaving and just Swan holding Matilda, smiling with the extremely strong, like, angelic light behind yeah. her. <laughs> like, there's one frame which is over the top. So, yeah, we're, we're starting to get that uh, quite direct foreshadowing now. Like, this is when that stuff starts being dropped in. Although I'll be honest, by this point when I was first watching it, it still hadn't, still hadn't clicked about what was going to happen. No, uh, it's like it's almost like the idea is like is is that actually going to happen? So, yeah, throughout a lot of this, it's in your head like, oh, is it going to happen? Is it not going to happen? You yeah, just don't, yeah. you just don't know, which I, I think is quite quite cool. It was cool to watch it the first time, and it was also quite interesting to see the foreshadowing the second time. Hmm. Yeah. So with them now out, uh, leaving the island, Bond still in there. He's shooting his way through the place still slightly and is getting information uh, that ships, the ships are now 15 minutes away. Uh, and I guess, can't remember if I said, but like, yeah, the idea is that these ships are going to be there to then take the Heracles nanobots away. So they need to, that's now what they're, that's why there's a countdown now. It's like, we've got we've to gotta stop before these ships get hold of this stuff and spread it all over the world, potentially. M is on the radio and saying that uh, he's trying to stop this from escalating to war. And Bond, Bond says the line, if we don't do this, there's nothing left to save. <laughs> so <that's Yeah>. a, <laughs> I, I, I'll let it pass because, you know, we're at this point in the film, but that is like such a cliche line. <laughs> he pulls it off, though, I suppose. Um, well, I like and, that he calls him Mallory in that line as well. He doesn't say M, he says Mallory. Oh, does he? Oh, he's serious. Yeah. He's serious. Oh, yeah. uh, but he says, like, fire fire the missiles on his mark, the missiles from the Royal Navy ships that he's asked to come in to bomb the whole island. 
Q begins to uh, tell Bond something about, oh, but, you know, to do that, you'll need to open the, the silo doors. And Bond's like, I know, I know, I know all that. And uh, that he needs to get to the control room, which Q tells him is in a, a tower uh, above the, the farm area. And this is where, like, the music now really starts to amp up, I wrote down, that you're getting into some some real beats here. And his, his Bond is there and he's shooting more of the, the guards in the the farm area and at one point he takes cover behind one of the the columns and you can see there's just tons and tons of them in that lab that we saw before uh, that we saw before all at the top and so that's when he detonates the bombs that they placed in that very spot earlier on so all the windows blast out and all those guards are taken care of very quickly and efficiently so that's nice he carries on he goes to kind of walk out to the side and the camera angle switches and he's getting shot at from at the end of this tunnel and the, the the camera switches to Bond, like looking at Bond from the end of this tunnel, whoever is shooting him and Bond just quickly turns and shoots and there you go. It's a, it's a gun barrel shot in action. Yeah, Which, which uh, everyone, that was one of those things where everyone loved that in the cinema. I remember that was like, oh, I can't believe they've never done that before. But yeah. No, this was very cool. Like, And again, they get to get away with it because of it's the last one. I don't know if I would have liked it quite so much, but with it being the fifth one. And also, like, I think you just need a little bit of fun with this sequence. The ending of this film is going to get quite heavy. So I kind of like that we get this nice direct reference and kind of feel-good Bond moment throughout all of this. If it was pure just shoot bangs of their misery it would have been a little bit much. So I know, I like that we kind of get this last like, oh yeah, here's him doing the thing. Like it's a, yeah, it's, it's a very good time to put that in there. And oh, it was just cool. It was just so unexpected. The first time I saw it, I was just like, oh, that's so cool. Because it's so quick as well. We're like, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. What did I just see? And by this point, because yeah, as Bond said, as Tom said, Bond's taken off his jumper to give to Matilda. So he's just in like this white shirt now and suspenders. And he, he just looks so cool at this point. Yeah, and they do set it up nicely as well, where he like runs out of ammo with his gun and then goes around the corner and you see him getting his pistol at that point. So you, do, it, it's not just... It does fit in. It obviously stands out a lot, but they did at least think about it. Like, he is runs out of ammo, goes for his pistol, we cut to the shot, he steps around, he then shoots. Like, great. Like, it mm. does fit in. It's cool. Yeah. So uh, he enters a, a door... Um, at the end of the gun barrel, uh, he goes into the doorway there and he is at the bottom of a stairwell and he looks up and suddenly kind of all goes quiet for a second and well, maybe it goes quiet in a little bit. But yeah, a grenade drops down and Bond like, reacts to it really quickly and just throws it back up in the air before it explodes. So it explodes midair instead and you think, okay, that's, that's that done. And then uh, suddenly tons of them start falling down as well. So... It's like a yeah, as you say, they they keep things like quite silly and fairly like a little bit of a comedy moment there where they all just come raining down after that one. So um, with that bond, gets he gets blasted a bit, but no, nothing too bad. He just sort of gets pushed onto the stairway a little bit, so he's fine. Don't worry, everyone. It's fine for now, anyway. And uh, he starts to make his way up the stairwell, and this is the beginning of this sort of one take shot one shot style because uh, the camera doesn't properly cut here for this whole next sequence where he's working his way up the stairs 
Um, he's taken out guards as they come out the doorway, using like he's using the, the bodies as as shields at some point. Uh, it's all very like it's it's not slick, like it's it's this one take shot, but it's all still very rough and ready. Like at one point, um he gets there's more grenades and he gets like blasted by a grenade and uh you have that ringing effect just like back at Vesper's tomb where it all goes muffled for a, a short period of time and like the sound starts to become clearer again and he sort of shakes himself and gets himself back up and and carries on and sees some shadows on the wall and shoots upwards and some bodies just fall down and he's taking care of them. Yeah, and he keeps on going up, takes out some more uh, guards that come in and eventually he reaches the top and that's when Eyeball Guy, remember him? He bursts through the door at the top because obviously Bond is heading towards the control room which was at the top of the tower. And yeah, Eyeball Guy bursts through the door and uh, the two wrestle and as they're wrestling... They fall down this kind of the first little section of stairs at the top of the stairwell. And by the end of it, Bond has got Eyeball Guy in a sort of chokehold. And it just so happens that his watch that he's wearing, the Q watch, is right under Eyeball Guy's chin. And so with that, Bond activates his EMP watch, which starts to beep. And you see Eyeball Guy's eye start to flash red. And it kind of glows and it beats faster and faster and faster. And then his eyeball explodes inside his head and he dies. A lot less graphic than that sounds. It's not like his whole brain bursts out, but you just, you know, it sells it that he has just had his the inside of his head blown up. Um, and that's Eyeball Guy finally gone. Ah. Oh. And as that happens, Q is still on the radio and he's saying like, Bond, it sounds like you're in a rugby scrum because uh, now he, cho- he chooses to, to chime in and Bond replies saying I just showed someone your watch it really blew their mind they did it <laughs> a good quip eh? five, it's been five films it's been like 15 years and we finally get a good quip out of Craig ah uh, he, he had so little time left on the clock to get one in I'm glad he <laughs> just squeaked in Ah. Oh. I mean, they have got Eyeball Guy to thank for that because, I mean, he's earlier on he was like, eye-opening experience. There's so many things you can do with that. So, yeah, it, he, I guess Craig just needed Eyeball Guy all along to really bring it out. Yeah, like, it's not the most, like, creative line, but it works, it's entertaining. I'm so glad they got this in. So glad they got it in. And overall, with Eyeball Guy, we haven't talked about him a lot because there's not too much to say I do like this approach to the henchman because he basically is the henchman for the film. But but you can't really have him do too much because of how much is going on in the film. And my feelings to this guy seem to like with Logan, where it's like he's in the film a right amount. He's a presence. He's getting stuff done. But unlike Inspector with, well, thumbs, he's not like supposed to be a core part of the film. He's just kind of the Spectre agent and then Safin's agent who's just doing stuff and has a strong visual appeal. And I think he just does that well. Like, he's not supposed to be... I don't think... It's not really fair to compare him to some of the other henchmen because he's not... That's not his presence in the film. But I think his presence in the film is felt. You don't really go into his character, which is good. They don't try to establish that. He's just a distinctive-looking guy. And then he gets a good little death scene at the end here. So... Yeah, I would have a hard time ranking him that highly in terms of henchmen, but I don't think that's fair. 
I think he does, it's like portrayed very well for how it's kind of needed for this film. And any more would have been too much and any less would have been a bit naff. So I think they did a really good job there with that balance. Yeah, yeah, I like him too. He's just a silly character with a silly robo eye and you see the eye quite a few times. I mean, right at the very beginning, it literally pops out of his head as Bond's beating him up. So like, that's it's just a silly character. And and he, you know, he's in the film throughout doing little odds and ends. He, he switches allegiance. Uh, good for him, you know, uh, keeping in the field. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, like, as you say, good ending, funny ending. Perfectly fine. Silly. Thumbs up. Yes. Yeah, and again, just it's more more City Bond stuff, which is always good. Um, but yeah, back to the single shot scene. I was actually taken aback a little bit when rewatching this film because I completely forgot this even existed. Really? No memory of this at all. And then when it started, I was like, oh yeah, I guess they did do a, a single shot scene. But yeah, I completely forgot about it. So this was actually kind of a really nice surprise and... It's kind of what you said, where it's a little bit messy. It's not this nice, clean thing. And I think it, I don't want to rag on Spectre even more for the characterization. It does show a better understanding of what Bond's about. He finds a way to get through and get stuff done, but he doesn't necessarily do it as like this super agent. Like, there's a little bit of that. There's some cool moments. But yeah, he just kind of, like at the beginning where he hides behind a corpse to like not be shot at like that's yeah. not someone being cool really that's someone being like practical and just doing what needs to be done to get the job done and that's what we see throughout all of this but yeah again i think it's just the characterization is kind of spot on this is not some like super big heroic moment it's just bond doing the job which i love i think that's just the perfect way that's what bond's about obviously sometimes he has his flourishes and his uh, things that he enjoys and sometimes he makes quips and stuff but ultimately it comes down to i gotta get to the top of the tower so he kind of gets that done um, i mean it's of course it's mostly ties to craig and his one um you could almost see this as a parallel to casino royale where last time in that film he was fighting someone downwards and this time he's fighting his way upwards you could say that's a nice parallel between the films whether mm. that's intentional i don't know um but this, de- this definitely doesn't stand out to me as one of like the best single shot ones, but it's mostly just because I, as I've said before, a little bit burnt out on these. But this was a really nice surprise, really well put together, some really cool kind of little moments there with like hiding behind there and the way people jump out and the way the camera moves and follows certain actions. Sometimes it follows Bond, sometimes it doesn't. It's just all very well put together. It's really satisfying. It's cool when it wants to be cool. It's gritty and messy when it wants to be well maybe not because they had to do it in one take but yeah really nice surprise i was uh, surprised how much i liked this good i i did remember it but i i kind of i think i was in the same boat as you where especially after like doing all the previous episodes and the one shot things that we mentioned about before i was a little bit apprehensive about am i gonna like it as much but i think because they just do it in that completely different style and and have it as bond battling against the forces as he makes his way up i think it works and it's not trying to be some like john wick slick thing going on here and it's just taking him out with ease it's he's you know he's struggling as he gets up there like at one point like he has to use the door as like a blast shield for goodness sake so yeah i i really like it too yeah i think the main thing you would say against it is that and it ties into me forgetting it is it gets a little bit lost here like you've got 
everything else that's happening around it, which is more consequential for the story, that, yeah, I think you can kind of forget this. But I still think it's really good in the film. But potentially with how long this film is, you know, it's tricky with this film because watching it this time, I paused it a lot to do notes. So in terms of properly talking about the pacing, I feel like I couldn't really do that justice all that well because of doing the notes and pausing it. But I quite like the pacing, (laughs) weirdly enough. Um, But I do remember in the cinema this feeling a little bit long. So this is definitely one of those films that you want to pause halfway through, go get a drink, ice cream, perhaps. Maybe. Um, Could be. One last time. Uh, and kind of reset a little bit. It's definitely one of those films. I would recommend that. But I do actually quite like the pacing. But even so, I do think some of this stuff gets a little bit lost. But it's not lost because it's bad. It's just lost because there's so much going on. And it's right. just not going to be the thing you uh, remember necessarily. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, so Bond has reached the top to the control room. And I think there was also, when he said really blew their mind, there's like a little jingle in there. Not like a Bond jingle, but there is a like a little audio cue for that. Is there? Oh, okay. I can't remember what it was. I just put jingle, but it jingle. wasn't like a Bond twang or anything. It was just a little like, like that sort of thing. So, mm. uh, yeah, so he goes up the stairs and Bond grabs a pistol to arm himself and Bond set, or Q is on the radio. So he's trying to like, I'm trying to get some information and he starts talking about, oh, this is going back to the 1950s so it's going to be a very complex system and the order that you do things is going to be extremely precise to make sure it works and while this is happening bond is just flipping switches and stuff and then he like pulls a big lever and it's just like got it i think and it works um so bond sees i don't know how i don't know how the windows work here but he sees like the garden pool so the japanese garden not the poison garden but like a different one (laughs) It's like, it's not really even a garden, right? It's more like a serene little yeah. pool with some pebbles and stuff. It's So it's not the poison garden. It's just another like little, yeah, serene Japanese style area. Um, so we see that the things open up um, and the water actually like drops down into the acid pool below. I'm not quite sure the point of it, but I guess that, oh, that's because Nomi and Bond saw it before, didn't they? Yeah. So that's how you know it goes like straight into it. Right, yes, okay, that's making... I didn't put that together till just now, that the hatch they saw is this one, because it looks way smaller. Mm. Well, it looks like it changes size. I don't know if they sized that up correctly between the shots, but... Um, but Bond says, yeah, that's it, launch the missiles. But Q says, no, not until you're clear. But Bond says, tell M to launch the missiles now. So Q tells M to fire, and M contacts the HMS Dragon on the radio and says admiral it's m here and we have m quite yeah not sorrowful but yeah just sitting in the chair looking like he doesn't quite feel comfortable with all of this there's something a little bit off there is a little bit of weight the way he talks but to him and he he says you have permission to launch and they say roger and we get a very quick shot showing the missiles firing from it but yeah, I love I love the way kind of M is shot here. There's almost like this again. It's more foreshadowing. I get this sense that M knows, even if Q hasn't figured it out. I feel like M is really feeling the weight of making that decision and having him in the middle of the frame like this. And oh, it's it's just building that stuff in. Very more smart filmmaking here. Yeah, I mean, he's almost kind of 
if this is what I think you're referring to, like he's quite like, in dark, like the whole scene's quite dark in the office as well. And like he's yeah. sort of almost like got his head down, kind of a bit hunched and just looking up and looking almost defeated in a way. I, mean, I know we haven't reached the end yet, but like he's, you, you, you do get that vibe that like something is not quite right here. Yeah. And I think Ralph Fiennes is just like, it's him bringing that into it, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Without him, that wouldn't work. Um, but yeah, so Q tells Bond, the missiles are nine minutes away. So Bond starts running through the base and yeah, he does, he's running through. So he's now completely gone away from the control room and he's running and he, he stops and turns around and he finds Doodoo, not the, the, the rabbit. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. Good. yeah. <laughs> oh, Doodoo. Ew, just wipe that off. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah, so it's the rabbit, Matil's rabbit toy. So he picks it up and smiles and puts it in there and as he's running, he or as he is about to go, he sees the blast door start closing again. And he shouts no and starts running back. And this time he kind of runs into the garden that we saw before where the missile sort of opened up the serene Japanese space. And Safine fires a pistol at Bond that causes him to fall down. So I get a bit confused with this because Safine then fires again and Bond stops moving. Did all these bullets go into Bond? Uh, or did any of them go into Bond? I think at least one did. Because he's like holding his stomach. I think at least one stomach. has to, yeah. Yeah. I, I think this is another thing where maybe it ties back into the beginning of the film that we didn't even talk about. That Safin at the start got shot in the chest and was fine. Which I got very confused the first time I saw it. Because I was like, oh, is he like a zombie or something? Like, is this, <laughs> a is zombie. he like the Baron or something? Like, is he are we doing a live and let die where he's like oh. can come back to life but uh i think it's just purely supposed to be yeah in this world people wear body armor of course they do idiots yeah um yeah. so sometimes when a bullet hits them similar to what skyfall did as well sometimes when a bullet hits them they can just take it and they just get like winded and stuff which is what i'm assuming happens with seven at the start and i assume to at least a certain degree that bond has just been knocked down by the force of the bullet rather than it being hit but seeing how there's like very little blood in this film, it's like the same thing happens to someone being shot to also someone being shot and knocked down. It's a bit odd. Mm. Uh, so yeah, Bond's on the floor, Safin pointed the gun and Safin's all like, quite the mess you've made, like an animal. And Bond's just had enough. He just screams and just jumps at him, which is like, yay. <laughs> um, so he like throws him down. But Safin like reaches out and like scratches Bond's face. You don't really see it properly, but you see something on Bond's face and some sort of like scratch sound play. So Bond grabs the arm of of Safin, who's got the gun, and they both scream and Bond just breaks his arm. And Bond kind of steps away and we see like a scratch on Bond's face and some blood drips into the water. And Safin says, well, now we're both poisoned with heartbreak. Two heroes in a tragedy of our own making. Anyone we touch, we are their curse. A kiss could kill them instantly. And Bond looks a little bit confused and looks at him, doesn't understand fully, but Safin's like, yes, Madeline. Yes, Matilde. And we see Safin reveals a broken red file in his hand, which is what we saw before, uh, which was the insurance. And Bond checks his face for the scratches and notices that has happened. And Safin says, you made me do this. Don't you see? This was your choice. And Bond slowly gets up, picks up a gun, and just without even really looking, shoots Safin a few times and steps out of the pool. 
So I actually really like this scene um, for all the problems with Safin and stuff. I thought this was actually pretty great. And it's mostly just because of Bond, yeah. where he's just had enough. And he screams at him and he jumps him and he breaks his arm and just like kills him so casually. I think that's, for all the problems you could say with Safin, I really like this kind of, it's more of a payoff for Bond than him, which makes sense because that's, it kind of needs to be. And they, they kind of treat it that way. I love the idea of Bond just shooting him and walking away, a villain being killed like that. I think that's so cool. Yeah, I don't think he even looks at him, does he? He's just no, like no, he the just kind of and... yeah, yeah. He just does yeah. it while walking away, which he has done before. But yeah, to do that to the villain, like, oh, that's that's cool, that's serious. You really feel what Bond's going through at the moment and stuff, and his uh, yeah. Oh, I think this is really good. I mean, especially at this point, in, you know, watching it, you've you've probably clicked by now what's what's happening here, and it's just like yeah, seeing Bond so hopeless and just so dejected and like nonchalantly killing uh safin you know like like it was nothing he's just he's completely just lost all all hope and every and yeah it's just a broken man at this point as he as he picks himself up and does that so definitely a, a good emotional punch to this scene yeah i think that's the right way of saying the emotional punch it really does feel like one where I mean, it's the classic film thing, isn't it? Make everything seem pretty good. Bond saves the day and he's getting out there, but then a twist. But usually with the twist, Bond is going to find a way out of it. But no, this is just kind of Safin in quite a cowardly fashion just destroys Bond's world. I'm like, oh, like, yeah, I really feel this one. And, you know, for all the stuff that the nanobots are just kind of nonsense and silly, the, I do feel like, they do kind of work at this point. Like everything up to this point, yeah, kind of a bit weird, a bit naff and stuff. But now that we've come down to it, the final showdown, Safin has been killed and Bon has the nanobots. I, I find myself focusing more on that and finding that actually quite a lot more interesting and engaging than I thought uh, leading up to this point with the nanobots. Right. Hmm. I'm guessing you don't agree. <laughs> I'll get, yeah, I'll get there. Don't worry. <laughs> Okay, so Bond walks away and he starts limping towards some stairs. So he's quite injured and we see blood dripping on the floor coming from him. And Bond asks for Q and is on the radio saying, are they safe, Q? And Bond says, yes, they're safe. And Q asks, have you left the island? But Bond says, there's a slight problem with the blast doors. But Q's like, no, 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 you, the missiles have launched. You've got to get out of there. And Bond goes up to the control room or has made his way up and pulls a lever or pulls the same lever that he did before and opens up the blast doors. And Bond talks to Q like, how do I destroy this? But Q's all like, well, you know, if the silo doors are open, the missiles will destroy the base. But Bond's all like, no, no, no. If you get it in you, how do you get it off? And Q not realizing what's going on saying, well, you can't. It's permanent. But he just moves on. It's like, you've got to get off the island. Um, but the nanobots are like point like they're harmless unless you're next to the target and bond says well that's not going to work at this point bond is like lowering a ladder down to climb to the top of the control tower and at this point q realizes what's happened and is like oh god it's it's madeline Um, and bond says it's all right q it's all right and asks for bond to put madeline on so Bond's like climbing the ladder, but very slowly, very weakly. And we see Swan and Nobi and Matilde has kind of gotten away and they're like 
playing in the water a little bit and Nobi gets the call and puts uh, Madeline on the radio and she's all like, where are you? Is it done? And Bond says, yes, he's dead. Well, slowly climbing this ladder and Swan's all like, well, have you left? And he says, no, uh, I'm not going to make it. And at this point, like a pia- the piano of No Time to Die starts playing and Bond is able to reach the top. But Swan says, I know you can do this. Like, everything is good now. There's no one left to hurt us. And Madeline, or Bond says to Madeline, you have made the most beautiful thing I have ever seen. She's perfect, all because she came from you. So Bond stumbles a bit because he's still quite injured and Swan kind of pieces together that he's been poisoned. Like, she realizes what's happened and saying, there must be a way. And Bond is just kind of like overlooking the island. You get quite a nice, beautiful view of Bond on top, overlooking the island, but also other islands. And Swan says, we just need time. If only we had more time. And Bond responds by saying, you have all the time in the world. And says, I love you. They say it back. I love you too. And we hear some sound of the missiles. So Bond is still on the island from, from their perspective. We can just hear the missiles coming. And Nobi and Swan see them overhead and Swan says, like, she does have your eyes. Um, and I think Bond just says, I know. And Bond sees the missiles in the sky and stands and sees them. And yeah, I think this is when he says, I know. And the missiles land in front of Bond. And then he's standing there and he's just wiped away from the explosion. And we get aerial shots showing the island being bomb- bombed completely and... Swan starts crying. We cut to shots of Q being very upset. And on the screen behind Q, you see the smart blood vitals. You see Nobis are normal, but Bonds are now all zero. And we see M looking very sorrowful in his office and Money Penny trying not to cry. And then we fade to white. So yeah, that's a uh, Bond deadaroo, dead ski. I do <laughs> not believe it. <laughs> There was no signs. They really should have set this up. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I I have very distinct, vivid memories of being. I know it was only a couple of years ago, but still in the cinema and just like from this point on, like it was just complete silence. You could hear a pin drop, and yeah, it's like they they only went and blooming well done it. They killed him off. What is going on? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's a lot to take in, Tom. Hmm. It's never yeah, before I done. Think, uh, yeah, I guess there's two parts of it, right? There's like, as I always like to say, there's always two bloody parts to it <laughs> when I'm talking about something. But there's, I guess, the concept of Bond dying in the first place, and then there's like how they actually pulled it off. So yeah. in terms of Bond dying in the first place, yeah, I think that was definitely the way to go. Uh, I think it ties into the themes of what they've tried to eject here with Craig. I think as soon as M died in Skyfall, Bond had to die. Um, and there's definitely Aww. been things... He had to, he had to go. Um, so, and there's definitely been things about apparently after Casino Royale, I think Daniel Craig said to uh, like Broccoli saying like, or Barbara Broccoli saying like, I think Bond should die. And she was like, sounds good. Um, so this was always kind of built in. And I like the idea of they always kind of knew it was going to this point. And as messy as the timeline as this has been, I did feel like they built in enough themes and ideas of what it means to kind of do your job, the price of that and the price of these deeds, doing the 
the right thing for the or doing the wrong thing for the right reasons and stuff and yeah if M had to die for her sins it only makes sense to me that Bond would have to do the same it's like the cost of this life but I love that Bond gets his arguments in there about angry little men and I think that makes this light this this moment is made stronger by this stuff how he does say he is relevant he is he does have a place but he ultimately this is how it was always going to go and he kind of gets to die doing the right thing so I think in terms of Bond dying yes it was the right way to go and I think it was it, it totally makes sense that this film would end with that sort of moment yeah uh okay all right so hang on this is the this is the in principle we're talking in about principle here. yeah should okay, Bond right. be killed off in a film um I personally lean towards a no. Doctor no, even. Doctor no. I <laughs> I personally don't like the idea of killing Bond off. But this is where I get so totally conflicted over this film. Because although I don't like the idea of it, and I don't like that they did it, I think they... Like this, this whole ending bit, like the music playing there as that happens, and the missiles coming down, and him looking up. I think that was well done. Like if you're if you're gonna kill off Bond, not how we got to this point, that's a different matter. But if you're gonna kill him off, like this is a very dramatic, this is a you know a very big emotional, weighty send off to a, a huge character, and yeah, having you know this has never been done in the sixty year history over sixty years. So yeah, like I think. In terms of how they did this bit of the film, they it was a success, and and like it does, it does do the job. Like it gets you emotional. I was there in the cinema and I was getting very emotional watching it. Uh, doesn't mean I liked the idea of it, but they did it well. And I think the reason why I don't like it, and this is going to extend a bit into some of the scenes that come after this as well, or just just one really that comes after this with with the MI6 lot, is. For me, I would, I I want to watch a, a Bond film to be entertained and to have fun, and and this is not a fun end. Like this is a very emotional, uh, weighty end. And I'm not saying it's bad, but I that's not what I watch a Bond film for. Um, if I was in a, in the mood for a Bond film, I want to like you know I want to strap in and be in for a kind of wacky, wild, cheesy, fun time. And at the end of the day, Bond saves everything and and that's it. He kisses the girl or he rides off into the sunset. And so that's why I can't get on board with this as an idea. As I say, though, I think for what they did, they did it well. Is this the man that ran Casino Royale as his number one Bond film or is this someone else? Well, that, that's the thing, though, is like <laughs> I, I, with the Craig stuff. Yeah, it's definitely more tragic, but it's it's tragedy to Bond. Like tragedy happens to Bond. Bond isn't the tragedy. And I think that's the thing that is, separates it for me. Like you always get at the end the little moment like in Casino Royale where, you know, he finds Mr. White and it's like Bond, James Bond. And you have the little hurrah moment at the end and it's it's the cool <laughs> Bond's back. And I don't mind sad things happening, but I just don't think it should... I think this maybe went a bit too far. I think... Yeah, I think they can do... I'm going to... I'm more on the side of I like this. I've kind of already explained why I want that damn Bond dead. I want him dead. <laughs> I stood up in the cinema. I was like, I want him dead. <laughs> um but i and as you say i agree they did this very well but i just don't think 
you can tell a complete story in what they were trying to do. And, you know, maybe fundamentally you just didn't want them to do this. But yeah, if you're going to tell this story and connect these five films and tell a complete James Bond story, I just think he has to die. And I don't think that can be fun. Um, which again, like if you're here for fun, then yeah, there's no way that can be compatible. There's no way you can have that happen. So I'm kind of glad they picked this direction. They're giving us a complete story here with this ending. And they're not that we've already had a bit of silliness and fun before this point. You know, they did inject a load of the Bond stuff here. But now we just kind of have to sit in the weight of it all. And I think that's good. Like, that's what makes this feel like the final film. And that is something you can do with the final film. I agree. I don't want this for all my Bond films. If all the Bond films were like this, I'd be like, oh, God, no, I'm not watching that. It's so depressing. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Uh, but I think this is the chance for them to do it. And I'm glad they did it well. Uh, I think, yeah, the dialogue is very weighty, but very well done. It's very well performed by everyone in here. So, yeah, just echoing what you said, this is very well done. And, yeah, a massive emotional punch as you're watching this play out and hearing the dialogue that you have made the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. You have all the time in the world. I'm like, ah, oh, no. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I just think it has to, it had to end this way. And I don't see, unless you're just keeping it open from a narrative perspective, I think to actually properly wrap it up and give us a much more satisfying ending than what Spectre did where it's just like, oh, I'm going to go with Swan on a bridge. Uh, this actually gives us that satisfying kind of ending. Um, and they've also just set this up throughout the film as well, um, which kind of ties to what you're saying about they, they have done it well in this film. Um, I guess it's more of a fundamental issue about whether you're okay with this or not. But yeah, throughout the film, you had Felix dying, you had Blofeld dying, you had all these kind of concepts, and they did build it throughout this. There is the foreshadowing here that this is something a little bit different and it's going to play out a bit different so this is probably what's going to happen and yeah i, I mean in terms of like the appropriateness of bod dying in this film i guess from a narrative perspective it's like because you got matilde right but i feel like it ties more into the yeah, the tragedy of this character he cannot just for everything he has done for everything that has happened to him he cannot just go off with his daughter into uh into the sunset but he can sacrifice himself, have that feeling for a moment of having his family, uh, and then sacrificing himself to protect his family. That that all makes sense to me. So, uh, yeah, again, I guess originally, like I am on board for this, and I think they did it very well. So I actually really kind of enjoy this this stuff overall. Mm, yeah, it's it's the luxury, as you say, it's the luxury of knowing this was the last Craig film. They they this is a thing that they they could plan now. Uh, and and yeah, like the way that Craig's stuff's gone, it makes sense. It makes sense. That that's why I just find it so difficult because it's like one half of me is pulling one way, saying, "Well, Joe, you know, it it all lines up," as in the arc of the character. Like you're saying, it totally lines up. And the other half of me is like, "I want a I want a Bond film. I, want, <laughs> I like I want an old fashioned Bond film sort of thing." So that's where I I, I just slip up. And I think this kind of leads into the the second avenue of this about bond's death about the the how is i think it doesn't feel earned in this film i think if they maybe had done this a different way i might be more on board of it as well but going back to the the nanobots 
Nanobots are for life. Uh, nanobots are for, not just for Christmas. Like, even that bit, actually, I said earlier that annoyed me. The nanobots is 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 not as bad as this whole setup at the end with the ships coming in and then needing to missile and like that is just such a total stretch to to have like right we need to bomb this island because these ships are coming and I don't really want to get into like every part of that but it's just like really that's how they're going to kill Bond off is that yes he's poisoned by Madeline that's fine uh, oh yeah, against Madeline, uh, not by Madeline. <laughs> um, uh, but then they just tack on this whole idea of he has to get bombed there because these ships are coming and sending the missiles. They can't missile the ships. No, no, no. They must missile the entire island. And that's just another thing that I think is a little bit... <sighs> if that was stronger, maybe I wouldn't be so against it, but it, I, I think that was a bit naff. Mm, I, I kind of like it, but to me it it ties into the idea of this is a Bond villain lair and it feels very appropriate that Bond gets blown up by him blowing up a lair considering how often he's done it in the past. <laughs> like, the idea of this mass destruction he causes being the thing that kills him. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like that probably makes sense. And from what I've read, uh, apparently like the whole idea about some of this is that it's Bond who has survived so many ridiculous things. If they're going to kill him, they got to like do it all in. Like You can't just have him be shot or something because it's just not going to work. So instead, they had him be shot. They have the nanobots in there, which I don't think would have killed him. I think it just means it would have killed his family if he went up to them. Yeah. Um, and also, they just blow up an island. It's like, to be, yeah, that does make sense. If you're going to kill Bond, yeah. And I kind of like the whole tragedy angle of the missile slowly coming and, yeah, those visuals of it's coming as well. It's... You, he knows he's going to die and he gets a little bit more time, but not a lot of time, which is, again, I really love that. We just need more time. If only we had more time. And then Bernard's watch appears. It's like, Here you go, Bond. <laughs> but they could have more time. That's the thing. They could have more time. That's why it's like, well, what, why? What's going on? Why don't they have more time? <laughs> What's going on? What's all this then? What's all this? Oh, bloody I, hell. I, I just remember... When I first saw this, uh, or actually maybe it was the second time actually, because the first time, as I mentioned, I was just like taking this all in. Maybe the second time it was just, I don't know, I felt myself as I was watching this, like thinking like, what, what, why, why? Uh, this is such a big moment. Why am I suddenly still thinking about like the intricacies of the ships coming in and the time and uh, the buyers and like all oh, this Heracles stuff? So that's the only thing I I wish for me, it was just very much a, a more clean way of the, like, if they're going to kill Bond, yeah, blow them up, fine, but just keep all this, make it water, watertight to me. And I think it was just a few too many little bits in there with this setup, like the setup with everything that I didn't like. But you know, you're right. Like you were saying before, sometimes someone can get shot and they're fine. So if you're gonna if you're gonna do it, he's got to be crisp. He's got to be dust by the end. So and it is a good shot. Like as I was saying earlier, it the visuals of it with the the missiles raining down. That's gonna that's gonna hit you like or literally, but uh, it, it it works. It works. Yeah, like they do deliberately try and move away from that angle with the boats. Like I wasn't really thinking about that at this point, but I think it's because they do just stop mentioning it. Like once Safin has been killed, that element pretty much disappears, mm. and then it becomes all about the missiles. So they they do try and move you away. Although of course, if you're still thinking about that stuff, fair enough. But yeah. there is kind of like, this is why this is happening. And then they move away from that to just show stuff playing out. So 
they do try to separate it, but you know, you are right. That is the logic of the situation. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we're almost done. Uh, we get some aerial shots of London. Of course it's London. Uh, we come from like the clouds, which was a bit strange. I don't know why the clouds got in there, but well, that's Bond looking down on them. Oh, is it? <laughs> no, I don't. Can't. No. Stop no, it. <laughs> yeah, that's terrible. Don't listen to me. Yeah, that looked bad. Um, but we hear M talk and he says, uh, it's hard to know what to say, but I thought we should gather and remember. And we see M, Money, Penny, Tanner, Novi and Q all sitting in quite a dark room, all having a having a drink. And M has like a book in front of him and he says uh, i thought this was uh, appropriate and he says a function of man is to live not to exist i shall not waste my days trying to prolong them i shall use my time and tanner says to james and they all toast and we hear M saying right back to work and we see someone clink an extra drink they have on the table that nobody has touched and we then cut to a car driving down a road and we hear the notes of We Have All the Time in the World playing the song from On a Magic Secret Service again, but like the actual full version. And Swan and Matil are driving the car and uh, Matil's in the front and Swan says, uh, I'm going to tell you a story about a man. His name was Bond, James Bond. And the kid smiles and we get some aerial shots and then it properly plays. We have all the time the world now properly plays and the final shots are of the dark tunnel and the car kind of going into the dark tunnel and then it fades and the credits roll. So, yeah, I guess the first thing, yeah, very nice. I do quite like that this is all very brief. Just like in broad, like broadly speaking with Bond, he's dead and it's kind of like, let's just have a couple of nice moments and go. I think that's all you need. I don't want a lot of like, or what happened afterwards? Where are they now? Did he stop them? Like, you don't need that. Matilda all grown up or something, yeah. Yeah, like, you, you, I don't want anything like that. No ch- time jumps, no complex stuff. Just, yeah, the people he worked with having a drink in his honour and leaving a drink for him and, yeah, quite an appropriate reading by M and, again, very mournful and stuff. And, yeah, then I'm not so big on the ending shot with Swan and Matilda. I get getting his name in there, Bond, James Bond, but mm. that line, I'm going to tell you a story about a man. Like, what is this, a storybook? What are you on about? This is a- <laughs> It just didn't have the right feel. If Even if she just said, I'm going to tell you about your father, who was called Bond, James Bond, that would have sat way better with me, but it's a nitpick at the end of the day. But that final line, I didn't really like, but I like this whole section because it's quite brief, just People are being quite sad and stuff, and then it ends. Yeah, that I I like them playing the whole song, uh, which is one of my bugbears for on Her Majesty's Secret Service, where they quickly cut it off. Uh, no, they let the whole song play out for you know all over the credits, so that's good. I this is kind of going back to what I just said about like I don't want to watch a Bond film and then be depressed by the end. I just think like that final scene with the MI six lot. It's just. This is probably the last time we're going to see these characters in this form. I very much doubt they're going to... I mean, they might bring back M, like they've done, they did with Judy Dench, but I find it very hard to believe. Like, I think yeah. if they're going to do this, it's going to be a whole new cast of Money, Penny and Q. So this is it. Like, and Tanner. This is... What? This is a, this, oh, I no. know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh. 
This is probably the last time we're going to see him, and they're all just miserable. <laughs> like, no new digs. They're all just depressed. Look, yeah. It's 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 got the gravity to it, and like it's got it's it it makes sense in that Bond's dead. But yeah, it just links back to like I don't want to see these characters looking depressed, and that's like the final time that I see them. <laughs> Jesus Christ! I think I slipped my wrists like Craig said after Spectre. Um, so yeah, another one of those for me. I I don't I don't like it, but that's very personal. I just don't like depressing things like that at the end of the films. I don't really watch films for that reason. Hmm. Yeah, I won't argue with you. Like fundamentally. As you say, some people just don't want this from a Bond film. And I'm not like necessarily like gagging for this stuff and thinking like, yay, but like, I feel like it's appropriate. So I can enjoy mm. it for that. I yeah. can enjoy the other Bond films that are a bit more fun, but I can enjoy this one as a as an ending. And I like that it's a very clear definitive ending and there's some impact to this and it's over. Like it, I get that very grand sense of it's over. And I, I appreciate that. Um, that's... That for me was good. I like that feeling. Sure, it's a bit grim. I don't disagree with you with that, but I like that it's a proper ending, and I can yeah. say yes, it's done. The job is done. done. But yeah, it is done. All right. The Bond's dead. Oh, is he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, actually, there's a post credit. Yeah, if you hang around <laughs> right at the end, it says James Bond will return. It does. And then Craig comes on screen saying, you didn't think I was really dead, did you? And starts doing <laughs> a little dance. <laughs> and you're like, hooray, not a bummer ending. <laughs> you got to stick around, Jay. Marvel was introduced that that mid-credit, post-credit scene. You have to stay now, folks, at every film. Because yeah, you I never know. know. I'm so glad they didn't do anything like that with the Bond franchise. But, yeah. yeah. So that was uh, no time to die. Apparently oh. he did have time. Ha, 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 ha. And so did Obrachev. Yay! Yay. (laughs) (laughs) Swings and roundabouts in it, so... Yeah. So it's our last one. So you're going first, Joe. Okay. Okay, wow. Um, As I've mentioned multiple times, this has been, as I said right at the start, this is the most conflicted I have been for all the Bond films, and I kind of knew that was coming. This is the one that was most fresh in my memory. It's the one that people still talk about quite a lot, and you see it online about No Time to Die. And I was worried that when I watched this, I would really dislike it because of that end, because they cut off Bond. And I just remember the feeling I had walking out the cinema and I'm like, oh, is that going to come back again? And that's just going to completely ruin this film for me. You didn't get on the underground again by yourself or oh, depressed, did you? No, I didn't. Now that would have been Oh, bad. thank goodness. <laughs> I would have been in the newspaper afterwards, I think. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, I think... The good news is, is that I watched this film and I realised that there is so much of this film that I really think works. And actually, I like most of this film, I think I like more than I originally liked when I saw it when it came out, which I really was not expecting. But yeah, if we just go like, if we just count the first 95% of this film, I really was on board for pretty much everything. I think most, well, yeah, pretty much every action scene in this film was good like starting at italy going through um having the uh cuba scene with uh paloma and even like the forest stuff that was as i say it's my least favorite but it was still pretty good uh and then all the stuff with the villain base at the end all of that was really solid it was an incredibly stuffed film and as i said earlier i think despite that they actually managed to like 
cross the T's and dot the I's for pretty much everything they tried to do, which is really impressive. Like they had the whole getting rid of Blofeld, tying up uh, Spectre. They had Bond and Madeline. They had, they even had you know Double O and what would Double O be without Bond and a new Double O Seven. I think that was pretty good. And Bond getting a family. Like they actually touched on lots of things. And yeah, it's a really long film, which is partly explains why that you know that is the case. They had a lot to deal with, but I think like pace wise, as you were saying, I, but well, you were saying you were making notes, but like. I think this actually didn't drag barely at all for me, despite the length. I think it actually really flowed nicely. So I have to give credit where it's due for that. Like that is such a, a mammoth task to do. Um, and they, they 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 went out on Craig's terms, it feels like. He came back for this last one and he you could just tell that I think he was happier with this being his final film rather than Spectre. It really does show through uh, as a bit of a chapter close on his bond. I'm, you know, I've just talked about like I'm not sure I like that chapter close, but you know they did it and they did it well. Um, so the question I really had to think about was, how much am I going to let the ending uh, affect me for the ranking of this film? Because in reality, this would probably be at the bottom, right? In in terms of if I was sitting down and thinking to myself, I'm in the mood for a Bond film. I would never pick this film. Even the worst film on my list so far, Live and Let Die, I'd be like, yeah, all right, we'll stick some Roger on because, you know, it's going to be... It's, <laughs> put, it's gonna, put the Roger on. <laughs> put the Roger on. As it's they say be, in your house. <laughs> it's, on, it's stitched on, a, on, a, on the wall as a motto. <laughs> um, but even that, with some of the bits of drag and all the things I don't like about Live and Let Die, I'd rather watch that than watch this and come out thinking, oh. So, realistically, it should be bottom, right? But... I think it's foolish to put it there when I've just said how much I really like about this film. It's it's not actually bottom. Uh, I'm I'm going to be a little bit smarter than that, I think. Uh, and so then I started to look at my list and think, well, actually, where would it go then? And I don't know whether you want to say your guess now, because Tom and I both guessed where we put each other's. Uh, are you definitely sure where it's going? I am definitely sure. So I put it for you... My guess is number 17 under You Only Live Twice and above or above Honor Majesty's Secret Service. Interesting. Okay, well, I was looking through and w- what I eventually realized was taking into consideration the ending, looking at the films, which which of these films do I remember just having that moment and thinking, oh, like looking at my watch almost like I'm not, I'm enjoying this, but it's it's... I'm kind of reaching that point where things are starting to drag or the the last battle villain scene is a little bit silly or whatever. And so that kind of took me up uh, past Spectre, past Die Another Day, because that's sort of, you know, it's always around a certain point that I can kind of gauge it by in the film. Goldfinger, I really wasn't, like, a lot of that I didn't really like. Working my way up. You Only Live Twice, the volcano stuff at the end, I sort of lost it a bit. Living Daylights, yeah, the villain stuff there I didn't love. And then I got to License to Kill, and I thought, well, actually, License to Kill was pretty solid. Like Sanchez and everything, when we discussed it, I remember really not minding License to Kill. And I think that made sense for it to go there, to kind of split the films that I would happily watch and know that I'd pretty much like all the way through, and then the films that I think would start to drag a little bit for me. So it's, <laughs> as I say, I, I'm putting this in now, it's so up in the air. 
but I'm putting it at number 15. So I'm putting it just above The Living Daylights and just below License to Kill. So it's a Dalton sandwich <laughs> for No Time to Die. <laughs> As they say in your house. Yes, yeah. yeah, so that's also on the wall. Um, but yeah, pr- like near enough to the middle of the list, like very, very middle. And I think like that is that is just the weight of the ending that's doing that to me. If Bond didn't die or if they just did it in a different way, this I think could probably be top 10. I think this could probably go above Thunderball, at least for me. Um, but as it stands, it's at number 15. Yeah, Ooh. very interesting approach you had there about which about the dragging of Bond films. And you're right, when you look at a lot of these, you're like, yeah, Die Another Day did drag at the end, didn't it? And yeah, The Living Daylights did drag at the end, didn't it? Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a very interesting approach. Uh, so it, it makes sense what you're saying. And yeah, when I looked at your list, I'm like, well, it's no way is it going above Diamonds Are Forever. And <laughs> I would have guessed it would have been below License to Kill, but I thought maybe you like Living Daylights and you only live twice a bit more because it's more classic Bond. But it sounds like there was enough good in there to uh, yeah. to bring it above those. I think just talking with you about it during this episode, I, I realized, man, there is a lot that I really liked. So yeah, it just made, made sense to go there. Cool. So from my side, you know, there's a lot of things that are great about this film. Safin... Ormachev, lots of great stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but no, like, yeah, so this was my second time watching it. So it was kind of a time to bring my thoughts together. And I think I enjoyed it more this time than I did the first time. The first time was all about, I don't know really what's going on. And then it became all about that ending. And that was kind of that. And I liked it. And I liked it as like a satisfactory ending. And I can appreciate about that. But it meant some of this other stuff got a little bit lost. So watching it this time made me really appreciate all the things that I love about this film and I think are great. So yeah, as you said, all the action scenes are really solid. I I love the Norway stuff. I think that's great. Uh, I like all these side characters, surprisingly. I like that they brought back Felix and they gave him a proper end. I like that Blofeld came back and had a really great scene. This film is just full of really great scenes and it's just like a sense of style and added little... Yeah, added little flourishes to it. Not quite to the same level as Sam Mendes. I don't think it has that consistent style that makes those films a bit more satisfying. But this one still has creative choices and well-shot scenes. And I think it's what I said before. There's so much stuff in this from the other friend, from the other films. But to me, it shows more of a respect and a real understanding of what Bond is. That they put all this stuff in, but they put it all in so they can then take it a step forward and actually kill off Bond. And actually, if this was a film that didn't have that stuff in there, this might have been like a Last Jedi or something. To be honest. <laughs> like oh. it could have gone that way. This could have been the Last Jedi, and I guess for some people it was. Uh, but to me, I feel like it just puts all that stuff in there and shows an understanding of the character and. It's just oh, it's just really great to watch. There's nothing that's all that bad about it. There's things that definitely fall a little bit flat, especially kind of towards the end. And there's some things I'm not a massive fan of, but overall just really, really enjoyable. And it's just great that we have this definitive end to the franchise. I appreciate that. But even then, everything up to that point is just pretty excellent. It's just full of scenes I really enjoyed. And following Spectre, this just had such a huge mountain to climb to get to this point and i'm just mostly really impressed that they did it and made just a very entertaining film but even then you get the stuff that's very classic bond and that either just classic bond or like remix classic bond and then you get the stuff with bond and his daughter and it feels so alien and weird 
and it just creates this unique feel to the film. And you know me, I love a good unique feeling Bond film, but still feels like Bond. It's just, it kind of nails all that stuff. So yeah, there's still some things I don't really like, you know, the opening theme, not massively into, and mm. some of the stuff with Safin kind of falls a little bit flat. And some of the logic of the film, like with the nanobot stuff, I'm not going to massively defend that, but it does what it needs to do. And it just finds this really kind of incredible balance between it. And I just had such a good time revisiting it and watching it. So I guess I got to rank it. So I kind of came into this saying it's better than Spectre and watching it again and enjoying oh, it more than I did. Can I just Oh, guess? yeah, go on. Yeah, so, go on. I very quickly guess. Um, I think I got the impression you really liked this, and <laughs> what gave so, it away? <laughs> and so I was looking at your list, and I was thinking, well, I reckon it might be top ten for you. And I was thinking, if there's anywhere it's going to go, I I think it's probably going to just over just uh, knock out Sir Rog a little bit. So I thought you'd put it at seven, just above the Spy Who Loved Me, just below on a Match's Secret Service. Okay, maybe, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> Okay. Uh, yeah, so let's get into it. So yeah, Spectre was the line. I can definitely say it's better than that. And looking at everything below, I can say, yeah, definitely like No Time to Die more than that. So we then kind of go into the next block, which is the License to Kill and Tomorrow Never Dies, and which are the more like fun of the era stuff. And yeah, I get more out of this than that. I think this is a better film. A lot more memorable moments for me. And then we get the next block, which is A Few to a Kill, The Man with the Golden Gun, and You Only Live Twice. And yeah, I think it's better than that. As I said with the other ones, I just get more out of this film. There's just so much stuff I do really enjoy about it. And I think overall, it's just what it accomplishes is just so much more impressive than those films. So we're going above that. And then we have the next block, which is like Goldfinger and Dr. No. They're kind of the classics that have like these standout moments, but are still early days. So are a little bit off. So I'm going to put it above those as well. Oh. I think I would rather watch this film I, it just does does it for me more uh not roger Moore. that's a different <laughs> <laughs> um so then we come to the spy who loved me and as you know i have problems with that film you know i got problems with this film but due to the tanker and the last third of that film yeah this is better i'm gonna put it above so now let's try and come from the other way from the top um so skyfall golden icosin royale i like those films more i think the their top moments and the way they come together, I think are just better. And from Russia with Love is just such a classic. And if I want some Sean Connery, that's where I'm going. It's a great film. And then it's like, yeah, we're now here with Thunderball and Honor Majesty's Secret Service. And this one's a little bit of a tricky one, but I think Thunderball is better than this just because it's more, it, it's a little bit more fun. It's just, it's classic Bond, but it's classic big Bond. And I was surprised at how good that was and how that all pieced together. So it, it was always going to come down to this on oh. a Majesty's Secret Service or No Time to Die. And I'm going to give it to on a Majesty's Secret Service oh. because of how unique that film is. And this film does a lot of the same thing anyway. So it's going to go in at number seven. Hell so yeah. It goes, <laughs> you got on a Majesty's Secret Service at number six. No Time to Die at number seven, and then The Spy Who Loved Me at number eight. What do I win? Come on. Uh, the podcast is cancelled. That's what you want. Oh, okay. <laughs> this no, is unacceptable. <laughs> that, uh, th yeah, that, as, as, it's, as it's quite obvious, like, that made total sense the way you put that. I just, when it came to the, down to like, oh, surely you like that more than the Roger Moore films. I know you're a sort of, they grew on you during this rewatch, but I still don't think quite that level where this would, this would go below it. So, yeah. 
And it's quite funny that goes right next to the film, which it is, you know, so so clearly referencing as well. They go it, quite it just, yeah, nicely hand like, in hand. I didn't plan it that way. It just totally makes sense with the way it played out. Um, but if I'm, yeah, if I'm, it's weird. Fundable was still there. And I had to think about that a lot. Like when it came to comparing No Time to Die and Majesty's Secret Service, I was like, yeah, I probably prefer the George, the Lazenby. I probably mm. do just about prefer that film. But Fundable, I was like, it's such a different beast. So I had to think about that one a lot. But yeah, I'm going to still put No Time to Die at seven, which is awesome. It means that it's a top 10 for me. So that's actually really exciting. I'm really glad it ended up that way. Yeah, nice. Oh, so there we go. 25, done. We've done it, Tom. Finally. <laughs> We've only got and done it. Sick of it. <laughs> oh, I mean, this is like, yeah, the most bonded out you could possibly be, I think. And uh, I'm not complaining, but also it's like nice to have a, a full complete list now at the end of it. Yeah, it's awesome. But it is kind of a shame that No Time to Die is like the longest film. Pretty brutal. Like it kind of <laughs> makes sense, but it was pretty brutal making this the longest one. So, yep. But at least we never hit eight hours in an episode. I thought we might for this, but I'm pleased we didn't. <laughs> yeah. So we're not going to hang around for long. Uh, there is going to be one more episode just wrapping all this up. So we are not going to do a big send off or anything like that. We're going to do that next time. So, but I guess, Joe, do you have uh, any last thoughts on No Time to Die? Um, do I have any last thoughts? No. Oh, <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm closing that chapter like Bond is dead. It's it's over. I'm not thinking about it anymore. Yeah. I'm just very happy this exists. It's very nice that it did finally come out. And it was also very nice that they came up with a very Bond-sounding title. That must have been a pain. That's true, actually. Yeah. Get die in there. You're, you're, you're golden. Yeah, you're or, or get both. Gold, golden and die. There you go. And actually, one last thing I want to say, because I forgot to mention it. No, you said no. Up. No, 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 I'm not moving it. I'm, I'm not moving it, I promise. Um, I think I think this film, in years to come, will grow on me when more Bond films have come out. I think because this is just the most recent and this is where the Bond franchise is and that was that, I think that's probably affecting it. But once this is like, you know, 10, whatever years old, I reckon it will be a lot more well-received by the people that don't like it currently. At least that's my thought process anyway. I think you're right. I think that happened to die another day to a certain extent. And for me personally, just on this rewatch, that happened to Spectre. Spectre yeah. gets a huge boost by the fact it wasn't the last one. Because as the last one, sucks. Um, yeah. But as just the fourth one leading to this, got a big old boost. So I think you're right. Once we've got a new young Bond uh, who hasn't been worn out by the whole experience yet... Uh, this one's going to sit quite differently. Although I guess that depends what Bond 26 ultimately is. Yes. If there is a Bond, no, there, of course there's going to be. Some people are thinking, oh, is that it then? Is there no more Bond films? They've killed off the character. No, it's they coming They said back. it in the credits. It's there. <laughs> he straight will away. return. There's far too much money in it as well. Don't did worry. you stay to watch that, by the way? I did. I did. I, I needed to know. I know you could just Google it afterwards, but I was like, I'd, I'm going to stay, not for some post-credit scene. I just need to see those words. And they were there. Yeah, I think I did, but this was the BFI and it was a long time and I probably would have been quite uncomfortable by this point. Mm. Yeah, they were long, actually. That's true. Yeah, it's a long <laughs> Just one. on my own by the end. Everyone's gone. I need to know. Don't, I don't kick me know. out. He's got <laughs> to hear like, the Bond theme and stuff. At least you've got to hear some good music. That's true. That is true. Yeah. So, 
Thank you very much for listening. You have been listening to episode 25 of the Bond Revisited podcast. The Bond Revisited podcast will return next week for the final rankings.